Podcast. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-hosts, Michael Grothy and Ben Bateman. I'm, lifting, I'm raising the roof because they're my roof. We are a podcast that focuses on Magic the Gathering Modern and all types of magic-related content. Uh, today, we are doing our top 10 cards from the most recent set, Kaldheim, uh, wearing an awesome shirt we got from Wizards. Uh, there's like a boombox over there. Uh, or like an amp and some other cool stuff uh, for the review. I should be wearing it. I've got mine. I've got mine right down here. I don't know what am I doing. I should have it on. We could wait. It's foolish. You want to go me. put it on? No, I don't particularly shirt? want to change okay. in the middle of the episode. Right. But thank you, Wizards, for sending in my swag box. It's very cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it comes with like a cool concert badge. It was really sweet and very nice of them. Doing a top ten countdown uh, of our favorite cards for modern specifically. This set's really cool. The vibe of it is sweet. It's it's always interesting when tribal sets or sets with the tribal focus exist because like for competitive play, does one of the tribes have a chance of seeing play? Yes, then this like half the cards are going to be relevant. If the answer is no, then half of the cards are like there's a bunch of giant cards that read really sweet and standard are gonna be dope and in other formats maybe, but I'm like I'm just never gonna I'm never gonna cast this card unless it's really good with Primeval Titan. <laughs> I'm never gonna cast or this card. Uro, Uro is a yeah. giant. That is fair. Or Croxa is a giant. But yes, that- they're the number. Number of giants are so is so small that uh the good giants are some of the best cards ever printed. But I don't know if any of the giants cards are that good with them. So yeah, I mean the, the, there was the, there I didn't put it on any of my lists, but there was like there's that blue like kind of like telling time that you can cast from your graveyard also mm-hmm. if you have a giant and like man the, that card's pretty sweet. Uh, it's very cool, but like unless you're playing a shapeshifter, you're pretty much never going to have a giant unless it's Uro. So um, so we are going to be con- counting down. The way this is going to work is uh, me, Ben, and Michael each have our top 10 lists. I have mine right in front of us. They are secret. We have not told each other what they are. We're going to walk through and walk them down. Uh, and then uh, we are going to count those down. Then we're going to go and do an honorable mention where we battle them off. And then on Twitter, you can go and vote for your favorite or comment below either one uh, of each of the different things. And we'll tally it. And then on the next episode, we'll say who won the most wins. Um, ben, I think, is currently 1 in 12 or something historically, though we stopped paying attention to it. You're, I think you're remembering that uh, backwards, <laughs> if I had to be honest with you. Definitely not backwards. <laughs> I might, you might have won two. I, don't know. I might give you a, a second one, maybe. I have I have strong memories of winning upwards of upwards of eleven, maybe even as many as twelve. So um, I don't know. It's that's just the way 11, I remember it, but 11, it's okay. Eleven percent, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> as as a quick uh, as a quick aside and reminder to everybody here. Uh, we are not including any land cards on this because we did our review of all of the sweet land cards in the modern format as our uh, little mini episode of the Masters of Modern, actually on the YouTube channel. So if you're listening to this on audio and you don't ever go and check out the YouTube channel, go to youtube.com slash the MMcast. You can see our full review of all of the land cards in the set. We break them all down for you. Um, as well as the fact that we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash the MMcast, where you can get a full raw feed. There's a whole sweet conversation that happens right before this about the OC, Alex, Chew Toys, Bone Broth, wild stuff going on in there. So go check that out. As well. And it's now video format, so you get it actually a whole week early. So literally, as soon as I record this, I upload it as an unlisted video on YouTube, and it gets posted to Patreon. So you can go watch this now. In fact, if you're watching this, you probably could just watch next week's episode right now as well. If you go donate Patreon, I think it's $5 or above. Uh, also, big shout out to David Celestock, who is in the Noble House of Modern. Uh, thumbs up to you. Salute. Sorry, Pinky's up. Pinky's up. Sorry, Pinky's up. If you donate to the Exalted tier or above, you get uh, shout outs every episode. So thank you, David, for jumping on the Modern House train. It's fancy here. We wear suits or band shirts. I spent uh, a lot of time <laughs> not wearing suits on this show, even though I did for years. 
now I'm wearing a jacket. I'm sort of feeling like I want to go back to that one again. Because so maybe took, I'll be doing more jackets. We like ventured away from competitive magic. We did some casual stuff. You got a little more casual. Now that we're back to mm. modern, you're a little bit more buttoned up. Yeah. So thank you, everyone. And uh, uh, it's my birthday in like two days and Michael's birthday yesterday in in the time of when this video is being released. So uh, happy birthday, Michael. Thank you. Happy birthday, Alex. Thank you. So who is going to start? Who will go? Who will venture first with their number 10 card? Ben, you're, you're one through two. Michael is three through four. I'm five through six. Uh, uh, one. It's Ben, you're first. So we'll go Ben, Michael, me. I'm going to start out with card number 10 on my list. The card is Egon, God of Death. Egon is a 6-6 six, six death touch legendary creature god for black and two. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile two cards from your graveyard. If you can't, sacrifice Egon and draw a card. Now, on the back side, Egon is a legendary artifact for one black. Beginning of your upkeep, mill a card. And uh, for black and two, you can tap it to exile a creature card from your graveyard. Draw a card. Here's what draws me to this card so much. Uh, the front side of this card reads, 6-6 six, six, death touch creature for three. The beginning of your upkeep, exile two cards from your graveyard. And if you can't, sack it to draw a card. So you're telling me that worst case scenario, I'm getting a 6-6 six, six death toucher for three that I'm just going to sacrifice to draw a card the next turn. I'll cycle this card if I can't do anything with it. And you fog, right? Like they, they, they're death touch. They can't attack into your death touching six, six very profitably. It's a six, six and it's, and and it's uh, exile two cards. Like they can be any two cards. So like Feshlands, like this card is, this card's dope. This card's really powerful. Um, And also the fact that then the backside of it, because you, it's a one black thing that you can play later. That's just going to like generate you advantage. Um, I don't know. I think this card's real, real good. the fact that it also like because of like this is going to be true of every god, but they skirt around the legendary rule a little bit because you can play the first half and then the second half. You don't have like so that if you draw multiples, they're not dead, uh, unlike previous legendaries. Yeah, no, this card's sweet. Michael, anything? Michael, it could become the best three mana six six in modern. <laughs> hey, if our last M- uh, Masters of Modern episode comes true, uh, which hopefully it does, yeah, it could be. You're right, maybe. Uh, no, I mean, I think this card is cool. I, I do think three mana six six is not as appealing as it used to be. Um, just because like the format's so fast, there's a lot of combo, there's a lot of ways to kill this. That you know, as the format gets bigger, big dude for two or three mana has just fallen out of favor. Tarmogoyf has fallen out of favor. Although Death Shadow and its new friend uh, are back in force, so I suppose there is something to be said for undercosted big big dudes. So perhaps, uh, yeah, perhaps this guy is the truth. Yeah. I guess to finish off my thought on this before I, I throw it to you guys, uh, Egon is just a 6-6 six, six for three if you're able to exile the things. It's a 6-6 six, six death touch for three. There's no trample. There's no evasion. So if you do have a full graveyard and you can just exile cards, then you're just getting a good dude for three, which, which is true. It's, yeah, it's yeah, a fair yeah. point. Yeah, and I think by turn three, you can keep this alive for a few turns. And like you don't need a ton of turns with staying in play before like yeah. your opponent is dead or way behind. So That's my number 10. And, and what's the second? So the front half is it mills a card every turn. And what's the other ability? The other ability is a legendary artifact for one black. At the beginning of your upkeep, mill a card. And for black two, tap, exile a creature card from your graveyard, draw a card. I think that's also pretty good. I mean, like, it, no, I, I mean, I made my list. I'm, 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 I'm it's a okay. card to-, to me, like, that is an interesting option that you have with this. Like, if your graveyard doesn't have enough cards or if you feel like a 6-6 six, six isn't going to do it for whatever reason, like, you know, your opponent has a removal spell in hand. But it's not the reason you're playing the card. Correct, you're correct. playing the card to right. get a three minute six six. And then you have this backside that is relevant. It fuels future six sixes and yeah. it is good if you already have one in play. But it's not the reason you're playing it, I don't think. 
All right, Michael, what is your number 10? Uh, I actually didn't number mine, um, which was very foolish. So I have to pick one of these to be number 10. I'm going to go with Elvish Warmaster, um, which is the... uh, Elvish Warmaster is a two mana, two, two, one and a green. Grizzly Bears. Elf Warrior, whenever one or more other elves enters the battlefield under your control, create a 1-1 green Elf Warrior creature token. This ability triggers only once each turn. And then it has 5 green green activation. Elves you control get plus 2 plus 2 and gain death touch until end of turn. It's an elf card. It is good with Heritage Druid because it just like makes random elves and poops them out onto the board. It's only once per turn. So it's like a little bit like a slow Dwinin's Elite, but it's like a little better at grinding. Like Dwinin's Elite is very explosive because you play it, you immediately get a 1-1. You got two elves on the board. You can tap them from mana with Heritage Druid or Arch Druid or whatever. But this is like a little grindier, um, which is cool. It also is an infinite mana outlet. If you like manage to make infinite mana, you can give all your elves plus infinity plus infinity, which is always a thing that is sometimes happening in elves. It can trigger once on your turn and once on your opponent's turn if you collected company or otherwise put an elf into play at instant speed, which is a little spicy. You cannot do it using the black green land because it's only as a sorcery, as we discussed in our mm. lands episode. <laughs> this is on my list. It's a little higher on my list, so I'm going to wait to sound off on my thoughts until I get to it on my part of the list. Uh, yes, but I, I am really... not carefully numbering, so <laughs> I didn't think very hard about this being number 10. But. Uh, so this is this is uh, not on my list. Uh, I actually I don't love that it's only once per turn. I, I just think that elves needs to be so a little bit more explosive. I think... This playing as a one of in the deck is probably correct, right? Like, especially because it's a deck that does take advantage of tutors to some extent. Having this available instead of one of the Dwine's Elite is like fine. And and the Infinite Mana Sync is good. Yeah, I like this card. Yeah, I mean, it's like anytime, I think it's aggressively costed enough that it is a consideration for elves. Whether the metagame shakes out that it's too slow or, you know, there's no room or whatever, fine, so be it. But, like, on its face, it looks like a card that I would think about trying out in my elf deck if I had one. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, my number 10, and Michael, start numbering. Just This is your chance as I read all the card names and what they do. Uh, all right, I have picked Orvar the Allform. Three and a blue, legendary creature, shapeshifter, 3-3, three, three, changeling. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, if it targets one or more permanents you control, create a token that's a copy of one of those permanents. More importantly... When a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard this card, create a token that's a copy of target permanent. Um, there are cards that had that second part of the text that are worse than this, that I've seen a significant amount of play in modern. Obviously, the more Liliana of the Veil is seeing in play, the better this card becomes. But the fact that we still in a little bit of a world where Liliana is seeing play, even when Jund is considered not good, and it's just top fives, five O's, and five O's dailies regularly. Um, having this as an option to fight that is, I think, really valuable. On top of the fact that it is changeling, so its advantage with many different options and decks that you could be playing with it are really strong. And then just taking the fact that there's cool things you could do with its ability. If you want to actually lean into the front half and like do something really cool, you're targeting your stuff, being an effect or something else to do really cool effects, then there's just that whole extra layer. Uh, though it, it is really the second half and the first ability of it being a changeling that's that's the most interesting to me. Uh, well, I'll, changeling comes up a few times in my list, and and that makes this relevant more so even, but here is, is the first card on the list. This card didn't make my list. Uh, the big reason just being that I think... It costs four on its front half, right? So I think just casting it on its own, it, it, what you're going to do with it, is weak in the sense that, like, you know, what, what was the, what was that combo, the four-mana Red Goblin, like Hadra or something like that? I can't remember what it is. It's like you copy it and it copies spells or something like that. There was some infinite combo you could do with it. 
But anyway, point being, anything that you have to cast for four that doesn't do anything right when you cast that I think is a tough sell in Modern. So I think the front half is tough. I do think the back half is interesting, like as a sideboard card that if they made you discard, because it's just copy a permanent, right? You can just like copy a land when you discard it. So like, that's cool. You can copy their Liliana of the Veil. It's any permanent. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's cool. That's, a, that's like a very interesting, cool thing to bring in out of a sideboard. Uh, but it, it didn't chart for me because the front half felt a little too like, eh. But I you can also it. copy their Kroxa, although... You didn't escape yours, so it'll die immediately. But yeah, Kroxa will also put this into play and is like a relevant modern card. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, I think clones, even that clone any permanent for four, just don't do it for me. Like there is some upside. And if you built a combo deck around this, because there are like infinite combos you can do with this. There's like a card from 10th edition that Frank Karsten mentioned in a Channel Fireball article or something. It's like a one mana aura that you can pay one to return to oh no that, that's a different card that's with the dragon um there was some combo with this there are there are infinite combos you can do with this i don't remember what they are off the top of my head anymore because i forgot but but yeah it's it's cool i just feel like four mana to clone something a lot of times you're not going to be getting like four mana worth of value off of it and so it's a little awkward to me oh yeah i'm i i am exclusively looking at this for the f- beginning half and the second half as in like this is a merfolk that then i can use things that work with merfolk that target them and then also if i ever get against a card that makes me discard cards i can fight against that like a Kroxa, right? Where like, yes, I don't think the middle half of these abilities, which are cool in Commander and other things are relevant here, honestly. My next card is Maskwood Nexus. Um, we mentioned it on our episode last week. It combos with the Great Tree, I think is what it's called. Uh, this card is an artifact for, for four colorless. Creatures you control are every creature type. The same is true for creature spells you don't control and creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield. And then for three and a tap, create a 2-2 blue shapeshifter creature token with changeling. So the reason this is on my list, um, obviously we already mentioned the one combo that's super, super sick, but like there is a combo, but it's, I think the idea that there are so many tribal, when X happens with this creature type, this thing happens, untap this thing, add this much mana type of deals that have happened over time, that this being colorless and interacting with every creature type, like I've thought about things like conspiracy and Hivestone, cards like that over the years to try to like add into decks to like get some real spice. And this is that, except it can be played in any color, and it also has the ability to make a creature in the type necessary, which so often those decks are like, if you control this type of creature, tap and untapped, how you know, that type of thing. To me, this is like, I don't know what deck this goes into right away, but I think that this card is totally pushed in the sense that it's, it's intended to interact with so many cool things. I know someone will find a way to break this card. I'm just positive. It just it's I look at this and it just feels like it's made to be broken. It, it causes any and, and I think correct me if I'm wrong, but it causes any effect that's like whenever a an ally comes into play, make a two two token. Like that card exists, right? It goes infinite with that. But anytime there's something like whenever this happens, make this other creature that doesn't trigger this. That effect goes infinite with this every time, right? And that that gets printed pretty regularly. And I think this card does work with that. So yeah, I just I don't know what it'll do necessarily yet. I've seen some people online talking about it, but to me, this is one of those cards that feels like every time they print creatures, this card is going to be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of the time, um, arcane adaptation being a three mana enchantment has this covered to me. I will say that because this is an artifact, it's on my honorable mentions, actually, because I do think that it being an artifact could become relevant where you'd want to play it over Arcane Adaptation. Like if you are doing something with Karn the Great Creator or I don't know, some something that cares about artifacts, uh, you can you can search for it with War of Invention or 
I don't know. I mean, all these are weird cards to put in your tribal deck, but, you know, Magic's a big game and it's only getting bigger. And I feel like this card definitely is a card to keep an eye on because there will be some sort of combo with it at at least a casual level. And the fact that it's an artifact and colorless could could be relevant. I think the fact that it's colorless allows it to be in more like Arcane Matadage, like you were forced to play blue, right? So like the fact that you don't like the decks that most want this are green and white decks that often don't need blue. And the fact that you're forcing yourself to play blue for an enchantment that doesn't do anything but just win- says wins the game on it maybe makes it less playable to me. I think that uh, it also with a card that is much higher on my list, with, uh, which is Pyre of Heroes, makes this card like super interesting because that is a like this card goes with Pyre of Heroes, turns Pyre of Heroes on into a full on birthing pot or better, and then also allows you to like get the infinite combo piece, right? It's, it's a part of that infinite combo, which then those are two artifacts that Karn can look for. Like, I think there's like, there is a puzzle here to be solved. Uh, this card's also in my honorable mentions with, it's on my honorable mentions, mostly because of I, I almost, my first top 10 list was all changeling cards. And I realized that that might be problematic for an interesting episode. <laughs> um, uh, and I was hoping you would include it. Uh, same with the elf cards, uh, but yeah, cool. The cards are great. I really love this card. On to Michael. My number nine is Righteous Valkyrie. It is a two and a white angel cleric, two, four, flying. Whenever another angel or cleric enters the battlefield under your control, you gain life equal to that creature's toughness. As long as you have at least seven life more than your starting life total, creatures you control get plus two, plus two. They keep printing more and more life gain payoff cards to the point where a life gain deck like Soul Sisters or even something else, like a cleric tribal, you know, like stuff like that is only getting better and better and creatures you control get plus two plus two is kind of exactly what you want because in order to make a deck like that work you're playing like a bunch of doofy one ones like ariok champion and soul warden and and this isn't legendary so you can have multiples of these in play you can hit it off collected company it's inexpensive you can get it back with sun titan if you're doing like a proclamation of rebirth like a bigger life gain deck where like Maybe you are playing Sun Titan or Emiria or whatever. And yeah, just having like one or even two of these in play, you're like all your random one ones to make your deck work are now like freaking huge. And so this is like a one card win condition for only three mana. Um, it also dodges Bolt, which is pretty good. Um, it's t- it's harder to push because of its three mana. Um, so it's like two, four for three is in an interesting spot in modern because it dodges a lot of the removal, at least a little bit. This thing's ability to gain life is not super duper relevant, but if clerics become more of a thing or if there is a theoretical life gain deck that wants to play like Resplendent Angel or something, um, then you're you're gaining a lot of life. Where I see this card is that I think so often cards like this that are, that are the like cool three drop creature with like sweet payoff ability they're often just like not quite good enough to be to really catch my interest this one's just good enough the four toughness is i think a big part of it for modern where i'm gonna like look at this card most of the time and be like i have to deal with that right but then it's gonna be like oh i have to deal with all the cards in your deck and this is a threat that's gonna just like win the game for you anyway there it's it's a good it's a really good piece to add to that deck is the point it's it, it just adds some inevitability to that deck that i think is really powerful and i agree with you. They, they keep focusing on the life gain payoff so I like this card. Didn't make my list. Yeah, yeah. card is very sweet. I think there's a lot of cool life gain stuff that keeps getting better and better, and Wizards keeps leaning into that space, partially because I think they're pushing white for reasons that the internet understands, and white life gain is a thing that is 
classically bad but has the resources to be good and leaning into it more and more has the chance of creating more and more powerful effects yeah i mean incidental life gain like often is what pushes a card over the top because it seems so innocuous but something like uro the fact that it gains you life means that you can't try and race under uro very easily because it's gaining your opponent six life right exactly (laughs) because it gains them three life on the way in and it gains them three more life when they unearth it or whatever yeah just that incidental life gain like makes that card way better so i think you know they're kind of realizing ah if you can gain life for free and or get paid off for gaining life then that is one of white strengths that you can play into yeah absolutely so banner so banner up you got Alex? <laughs> uh, my number nine is vorniclex for those who don't know what this big boy does he is uh, vorniclex monstrous raider four green green legendary creature phyrexian praetor six six trample haste if you would put one or more counters on a permanent or player put twice that many of each of those kinds of counters on that permanent or player instead if an opponent would put one or more counters on a permanent or player they put half that many each of those kinds of counters on that permanent or player instead rounded down the main place i'm thinking of this card is in just like the planeswalker i win through ultimates and there's now enough green ones that literally let you tutor for any creature in your deck so you can find Vorniclux if you don't have it already or you eventually find Emrakul and win the game and that alone is really cool and then that doesn't get into the fact that there's enough like cool plus one plus one counters and other things that go in it is the top end of a combo deck I don't think the reason this didn't make it higher on my list because it's extremely powerful is the fact that it's a six drop and that just has its own limitations, but it does have haste and it does have trample. So those are like everything on the card reads like it's playable in modern other than the fact that it's a six drop. Are you talking about like the doubling season deck? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, okay, cool. The fact, the fact that doubling season is a much harder to tutor for enchantment that nothing interacts with and does nothing when you cast it. And this is a for one more mana. A creature threat that will kill them by itself <laughs> and maybe randomly hates out cards that they're playing and then is also tutorable with every good tutor in modern is the thing that pushes that deck over over for me. And there was a while where that deck was playing like doubling season and Jace, but then if you look at uh it's it's the red green gotta go fast samet the tested yeah has the ability to yeah. go to, to 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 get you a vorticlex and play and, and keep that train going so i was playing that deck i was playing that deck on moto for a little while uh i, I had built my own version of it it's pretty fun yeah i agree vorticlex is a nice top end for that the thing i want to do with vorticlex i mentioned this on our episode i want a tooth and nail and twine for vorticlex and putrefax i just want to attack and then putrefax just doubles counters because of vorticlex and just wins the game outright Pretty sick. It's a flavor win, too. Yeah, it's true. I agree that Vorinclex is a boon for that deck. I personally think that that deck is cool, <laughs> but not that good. So it did not make my list. But but Vorinclex is definitely a cool card. And it is interesting that they have printed something like this into Standard again. Um, because Standard and Historic and Pioneer and cards were doubling... Formats that are a little bit smaller, a little bit weaker, where doubling season doesn't exist. It will definitely be interesting to see if uh, they can make it work. My next card is going to be... Nico Eris, uh, blue blue white X for Planeswalker with three loyalty. The when Nico enters the battlefield, create X shard tokens. Shards are enchantments, each with sacrifice for two mana. Scry one, then draw cards. They're they're very similar to clues. Um, the three abilities are plus one up to one target creature you control can't be blocked this turn. Whenever that creature deals combat damage this turn, return it to its owner's hand. Minus one, Nico Eris deals two damage to target tapped creature for each card you've drawn this turn, and then minus one, create a shard token. I like this card for a bunch of reasons. The the first and best of which is that you don't need to deal with the X. You just play it for three and then you just make a shard token and it's immediate value. Um, The fact that you can draw this late game and it's going to scale up and give you like tons of cards. I think Alex and you and I talked about this is kind of similar to like a Sphinx's Rev in some level. Um, It has that kind of feeling to it. But I also really love the flavor 
uh, that this card kind of gives you of the plus one where of getting to bounce a creature back to your hand. I think it plays well with some of the cards in the set, but there's just so many good cheap ETB effects in Modern's history that I love this card as just like a value planeswalker that makes all those cards really sweet. Um, it's kind of doing in some ways like the payoff that Dovin, uh, the three mana Dovin was giving you where like you get the advantage for your creatures doming them, but like so much better. <laughs> it's just so much better than that card. And I love that card. Well, the fact that it's also unblockable, right? Like it, it not only is it not only is you get that creature to re ETB, but that creature gets to attack for free. It, it's it's sad that this doesn't work with Wall of Omens, but that's I guess the world that I'm going to live in. Works with Snapcaster Mage though. It does right? work with Snapcaster. It does work with Snapcaster, Mage, Snapcaster which is very Mage, spicy. Yeah. Was this on either of your lists? Is in my honorable mentions. I definitely thought about it, and it didn't make my list, but I do think it's close. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Something about it just doesn't seem quite there for me, but it's definitely very cool. I think the fact that like having to pay to crack the shards is a little awkward. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. know what I expect from a three mana planeswalker. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't want this to be, you know, three mana to fairy or anything. And I think it's really well designed and really cool. And I really want it to be good. But I don't know. Something about the shard tokens doesn't sit right with me. That's fair. That's fair. Um, in terms gonna, of modern, in terms of modern standard, it's going to be great. I guess, I guess to this, I mean, like it maybe just it should have been on my list instead of Orvar. Uh, but a like enchantments ET being do mean things like there are cards that trigger with that in ways that are interesting. What's the coolest constellation card to play with Nico? Draw cards, right? The green one, probably black, white one that like drain the black, white one. Yeah, like, I mean, but yeah. like it's dirtily like. What's the what's the constellation card that's going to kill them? I'm looking up constellation. Oh, you know what? That that green dude. I wonder if that's going to be a thing in standard. You know the green dude I'm talking about, the three mana one. The one that draws you a card. Card, draw a card and put a counter on it. Yeah. Yep. So it's in champion. That card. I want some power here. and I want some toughness. Yeah, that's fair. I'm going to look up all the constellation cards. While you're doing that, I'm going to talk about the other things I like about this card. Uh, the fact that it like does it doesn't have power and toughness. That that is why it didn't also make it onto my list, and there's no way to kind of protect itself in any way. But they have scry one draw a card. Like they make better clues. Like these, are, I would rather have a shard than a clue. Yes, it's better than clues, but. You know, like the only card that makes Clue gets pay played is Tireless Tracker, and it's because it's insane. Yeah, yeah. It, it also has the beef. Now, this has the cool unblockability feature, but... This does somewhat defend itself in that it can come down and immediately kill a creature if yes, that creature is dead. that is true. That is true. There is a... Like, this has a removal spell feature. I think, like, it is similar to that card but it is they are not as powerful but they scale okay. better coming in coming like immediately down on turn six and just getting you three clues archon of sun's grace makes a two two flying pegasus oh constellation. that is spicy that's gonna get played in standard for sure there's gonna be some sort of yorian birth of miletus nico archon of sun's grace garbage pile there was already a blue white control deck right nico just yep. gets put into that deck and it's good you could probably yep. Yurion in modern with Nico actually in a good shell because you get the the scry enchantment too and you get yeah all right bye Orvar Nico's back on Ben convinced me made they made it onto the list <laughs> retroactively my number eight is rally the ranks one in a white enchantment as rally the ranks enters the battlefield choose a creature type creatures you control of the chosen type get plus one plus one i think that there are perhaps not a lot of white tribal decks in standard but this card very cheaply and efficiently undoes plague engineer which i think is important for certain tribal decks um 
this does not help elves a lot. But in a super plague engineer heavy metagame, maybe you splash white in your elf deck for this. Um, but like humans, for example, can struggle versus plague engineer. Um, and I think that this is like a very clean answer to tribal decks that get hosed by plague engineer in particular. Uh, it's maybe more of a sideboard card because a two mana anthem that doesn't have power or toughness, I think, is not quite strong enough for modern. But in a tribe like humans that is like really lacking anthems and is really going to get hosed by engineer. Um, this makes your like champion of the parishes enter and not immediately die. It makes your Thalia's lieutenants enter the battlefield and not immediately die. I think it's also really good in Soul Sisters, by the way, because they are all humans. Yeah. And this this could also be another Soul Sisters card. But really, like you're already getting plus two plus two from your uh, righteous Valkyrie, so you even need it. Right, right. <laughs> but that's three mana. That this comes in before the Plague Engineer. <laughs> It's funny, this card to me was the one of the first, this is one of those times where I looked at the card and I'm so used to the larger card pool of like eternal formats, like, you know, Commander and various other things that I just was like, oh, Shared Triumph. And then I like, it was like, wait a minute, you can't play Shared Triumph in Modern. That's not a card that exists. But then I also like started thinking about all the like crappy three mana, like Anthem type of effects, not even crappy, like totally legitimate ones that have been printed over the last few years. There's like so many of them. And I'm always like, yeah, these cards are just never good enough. So I think your point is sound. There's a one white, one in a white, all white creatures get plus one, plus one exists, right? That's a card. Honor of the pure. Honor of the pure exists. Yeah. And that does not see yeah. play in any of the decks we described. There's not a, like a mono white tribal deck in any format, really. And really, Soul Sisters, if, if it was such a problem, I think they would play that over Rally the Ranks anyway, because they have a bunch of rando non-humans. Yeah. Yep. Okay, yeah. cool non-human non-clerics but but i do think like there are tribal decks that do struggle with plague engineer and i think this is going to be a sideboard card for those decks forever yep that's fair uh my eight is a spicy eight and i i wonder if either of you have it anywhere near any of your lists even the honorable mentions it is reckless crew three red sorcery create x two one red dwarf berserker creature tokens where x is the number of vehicles you control plus the number of equipment you control for each of those tokens you may attach an equipment you control to it so I thought this card not was... to be confused with Rowdy Crew. Correct. Very, very different. different. You would think this card is garbage, but then you would remember that the deck Cheerios is actually a thing that people do and is good, and that in Storm mm. decks they already play Empty the Warrens, and this card is Empty the Warrens for Cheerios. And then I was like, oh, this card just is playable. Didn't occur to me. That's where I got. Wasn't to. on my radar. My one rebuttal is that with Cheerios you're playing like Retract. But then you just a lot of the time play them again. So like your storm count is much higher than your number of equipment in sure, play. Fair. But it is cute that these like do get to like equip and stuff. Because a lot of times you have all these like Bone equipments that cost zero and, yeah. with like a bajillion equip cost or whatever, and these like actually become legitimate threats because they're all like two fours or three Ones you get an army of like seven to eight two fars and you're just like okay go opponent and then and like obviously it's a side it's like empty the warrens you don't play four empty the warrens in the main you have like one and then you have a few in the side and then you bring them in when empty the warrens is good and i think reckless crew is the same potential in cheerios decks and i think cheerios decks just keep getting better as they print more and more like red and white tutor cards for some reason and like you know that that world and like stuff that benefits from that like i think we will get another sram yeah for sure and, and there's like other random equipment based card draw or equipment based value engines tutors, that they keep printing yeah. at low mana costs, like primarily for commander, but like you get there with Cheerios. My uh, my next card, my my number seven, and I wonder how high this is on your lists. I wonder if it made your lists. Alex Stone Cold called this card. Saw it coming. It is blue, blue one, instant counter target spell, but it has foretell. 
for foretell. So you can uh, put this in your exile face down for two, and then you can cast it for blue one to counter target spell. Um, I like this card for a bunch of reasons, uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. I like this card because two mana is so much more significant than three mana in those blue based control decks in modern history. Like obviously you've got all the logic knots of the world and things like that. But the fact that they can't interact with this card, they can't strip it out of your hand. Um, it just sits there. So early on, you can just commit to this card just being face down. I don't even really care if you know that this card is this card, because probably when all is said and done in modern, there'll be one or two foretell cards that actually get played. So you'll see this and you'll know exactly what it is. But it doesn't matter. You can be playing a Grixis deck or, or anything with Liliana. You can discard your hand. It doesn't matter. It'll still just sit there. Um, I think that this card in those decks is like the trump card because it's like your extra counter spell that's not a card in your hand. You can loot. You can do all kinds of things. It doesn't matter. It sits there. Uh, I just I just like this card. I think this card's quite good. Maybe I'm overvaluing it, but I think it's very good. Michael, I have a quick question. Is your next card a foretell card? There are no foretell cards on my top 10. Can I go because my next card is a foretell card and then we can have a foretell conversation because this is my first foretell yes. card? All right. So I have, th well, I have things to say about that card, but then also this card. So let's just get them both out there because I have a foretell conversation to have because it's really hard to evaluate. My next card is Dual Strike. Red, red, instant. Whenever you cast your next instant or sorcery <laughs> spell with converted mana cost four or less this turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy and then you can foretell it for one red. And, and uh, similar to kind of what Ben was saying, being able to in a storm deck or any deck that's trying to copy their spells and go off, being able to in the early game where you're just trying to draw cards and sculpt your hand to go off, foretell this and then have fork for one red available to copy any of your rituals or other things that are really powerful, I think is a very strong uh, ability and move that storm can take advantage of. Now, foretell your counter spell. Uh, Foretell is either insane or not good at all, and I can't tell. <laughs> I cannot foretell how good Foretell is. My gut feeling about Foretell, and this could be wrong the same way that either of your gut feelings about Foretell could be wrong, is that it's at a good power level. Clearly, it's it's like good for limited. But I feel like it's at a good enough power level for standard. Like All these cards that are clearly pushed Foretell cards are going to be great in standard. But I don't know if it gets there for modern for me. I think paying two mana for nothing is just not is not getting there for me. I have another foretell card on my list that I'll talk about a little later. But sure. um, I this card in particular for me, I think that there's something to be said. And maybe maybe we've been playing a little too much commander recently. So I've just been I'm thinking about the power level of things like the power level of things like Wheel of Fortune, where I'm just like I can I can foretell these sweet cards and then just like wheel away my hand. Like maybe I'm thinking like that. Um, you know, time twisters and these cards that don't that are not modern playable. Um, but on the other hand, I just think that they're, the idea of having a card that's not interactable, that's powerful and at a good rate, is a good thing. Um, I th I think it feels good. So I I'm pretty sure this card's actually good, but I I could be wrong. I think with both of our cards, one of the benefits is that they're not unplayable on the front side. A foretell card will not see play in modern if it's not playable on the front side. The fact that like right. cancel is generally not playable, but I've definitely. Like, uh, uh, what's the blue, blue, blue counterspell? The Archmage's, Archmage's Charm. Charm. Like, that's just counterspell when you cast that half of it, right? Like, it's just... Well, like, who, who among us has not hard cast a Force of Negation, you right. know? Like, oh, yeah. three mana conditional cancel? Ugh, terrible. But, like, you do it, right, you know? Right, Like, sometimes... You have the mana, it's good. Yeah, you have mana, you're not going to use it. They cast a spell, you don't want that spell to resolve. You're going to cast it. So, like, the decks that want this effect are going to take advantage of cancel. And the question is like turn two on the play is the moment for tell this, right? They're 
like going to play their two drop. They haven't played a one drop. You're ahead. You have a moment where you're not going to do anything anyways. And maybe you don't have a two mana counter spell. Fine. But yeah, I think, I think and with dual strike, like dual casting Manamorphose is like the like worst case scenario. And it's fine. It's just Manamorphose too. And me doing it for one mana is bonkers. And like storm is a deck that like on turn two, I'm actually probably doing the most I'm doing is like using ponder or not ponder, but uh, 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 serum visions. Um, so like, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting, and there's other ones too. Uh, these are the two that I think that I was like, the there's one third, like the third one. I don't want to if it's Ben's later card. I don't want to spoil it. Um, and it, it is in my honorable mention, so I'll, I'll talk about it then. If we don't talk about it, it'll be it'll be interesting. It's possible that they're just like really good. I I do think there's a chance that like enough of them will see play that you also do get enough of a surprise. Like they don't always know, especially depending on your deck. Like if you're in blue white, it could be the board wipe, it could be the card draw one, it could be this, and then there's the clone one, right? There's like four on the verge, so it'd be interesting they to see. They could see it coming. <laughs> oh, I, I personally evaluated it foretell pretty low. I don't don't know if that's correct, but none of them made my list. I have one in my honorable mentions, but it's probably not a card you're foretelling very often. Fair. Um, fair. We'll get we'll get there when we get there. My number seven is Skemfar Avenger. Another elf tribal card is one in a black for a three one elf berserker. Whenever another non token elf or berserker you control dies, you draw a card and you lose one life. What's interesting about this card is it doesn't play the way that the elf decks that exist currently want to play this is like undead auger which is a zombie tribal card which i love and i just think that it's it's really powerful for two mana because it gives you like a card draw engine what you need is like a sacrifice outlet and elf decks are currently not really doing that but i think this opens up like another avenue uh <laughs> you can use this uh cord of calling for it in response to a sweeper or whatever and draw a bunch of cards perhaps there is a new flavor of elves that is more interested in sacrificing elves to draw cards and make mana and you know you play an elf you tap it to heritage druid to make mana you sack it you draw cards you play more elves you tap them for mana you sack them you draw cards so i don't know i mean i don't know if this gets there but the rate is good enough for me and you know there are elves in like almost every magic set so i think this is a cool new direction for elves and this is kind of an aspirational seven in that i hope this gets there someday if not today (laughs) i'll jump the line i'll jump the line here and say that my next card once it rotates back to me is actually elvish war caller which you already talked about yeah um and so i can respond to this by also talking about yeah yeah i just think it's it's a reasonable time to talk about both i i cut avenger from my list it was one of the last cuts um, I like that card a lot. I think it's really cool. On on in my mind, a three one for two. I guess if it was a one one for two, maybe I would have looked at it a little different. I would have thought about the ability as more of the reason the card existed. But I thought about it as this is the aggressive black like black green elf deck that wants to be attacking, and then this has your like anti wrath built into it. But what you're saying with sack outlets and stuff makes a little more sense. Yeah. Um, well, and like if there is an elf deck that's interested in Pyre of Heroes, for example, this get this is yeah. like a good Pyre of Heroes target in that you can play one, you can Pyre for it, or if you're Pyring a bunch, it like draws you cards each time you Pyre. Maybe you can Pyre for a sack outlet. I don't know if there are any elf sack outlets in Modern. Actually, I didn't uh, look that up, but yeah. you know, <laughs> you so, get the so idea. So Warcaller, the reason I went with Warcaller over this is because to me, Warcaller feels more like the card that I. It just feels like Elvish the card War that, Master. War uh, Master. Right. Um, War Master feels like the card that when I'm playing against the Elf deck, if I see it on turn two, it just makes whatever they were going to do anyway that much better. Like it feels like the same exact play pattern. It's just 
now, like we talked about, now your Dwinnin's Elite is going to come down the next turn. It's going to make two elves. So now you're going to get four bodies uh, if, if you don't already have one from turn one, um, which even means if I'm like bolting stuff and removing stuff, you're still in a pretty good position. Um, not to mention the fact that we mentioned it, it's the it's the mana engine or the all the, the uh, mana sync, which those decks that you always think about, like, well, I hope they don't have their thing to like win the game with. It's just another card that I think just makes all of their turns a little more explosive and it's cheap. It's a good rate. This just feels like it makes it makes the cards that are already in that deck significantly better. I mean, like yeah, Elvish Visionary coming down, making a one one and drawing a card. That seems really, really, really good. I think these are both like real considerations. I do actually like uh, Skemfar Avenger more than the the green one, um, partially from a perspective of it shores up more of Elves' weaknesses, which are like board wipes and kind of getting wrecked by things that hate them and stuff like Plague Engineer and like a Plague Engineer coming down with this already in play, not it responding, um, and and opens up other avenues, right? Like this, this creates engines that allows it to do stuff with sack outlets, do something on a more aristocratic level, which elves kind of already plays like an aristocrat deck. It just like leaves the elves it tapped in play, not doing anything, but it's like using everything it adds to gain value, draw cards and like blocks by gumming up the board. And this just like increases that strategy. Yeah, it does play awkwardly with shaman of the pack because that's that's how elves uses its tapped elves, right? Is with shaman of the pack. Right, right. And, And my one other worry with this card is that like, you could just lose like elves has a lot of elves in play often and, and can gum up the board with a lot of creatures. And if they wipe the board and you have this in play, you could just take 12 and die. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Like if you're if you're playing this as wrath protection. Yes. If you're playing this with sacrifice outlets, you just sack it. Yeah, yeah. Correct. 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 So, Michael, what is your six? My six is snakeskin veil. It is a one green instant. Put a plus and plus one counter on target creature you control. It gains hexproof until end of turn. This is pretty much exclusively a, an infect card, but I think it's a good infect card. Um, the, the thing that this does that blossoming defense doesn't do is it's better if you have to use it on your opponent's turn. Like a savvy opponent will try and remove your infects on their turn because if you like go to kill a glistener elf on your opponent's turn when they go to attacks or whatever fatal push it they blossoming defense well now you're taking two extra poison Mm -hmm. now if your opponent fatal pushes on their own turn which is what they should do um to avoid taking more damage from blossoming defense well you've now counteracted that by getting a counter it also does protect your creatures from preemptive minus one minus ones like Plague Engineer or something like that. Um, if people are boarding them in against you, yeah, the, the permanent plus one plus one, I feel like is a cool option versus Blossoming Defense. Blossoming Defense does add to your explosiveness, but it's not like plus two plus two is like breaking the bank. It's you're really just playing it for the hex proof, and the pump is a nice bonus that fits into your game plan. So I think this is a good option. I think I in, disagree in with that, that slot. The reason the reason I didn't put it in, in on my list is because I think somebody who's played a lot of Infect and like a lot of Infect style decks in other formats. Um, the velocity of the cards, because what you're playing is so weak in general, like the, the, like what you're actually putting into your deck, like the power is so weak, you're kind of all in on this strategy. The velocity has to be pretty high of all the cards involved. And I actually think that the protection is good. And I think that what you're saying is totally great about it. It's very sound. But I do think that the plus two plus two is much more relevant than you're giving credit. I think the extra one point is the difference in swinging the game, especially in those games too, where like you don't just go all in and tend them in one turn. You're like, okay, now this is the shields are down this turn, so I'll get in with my Ink Moth Nexus. Like, you know, I'll I'll get you to one infect, or I'll get you to that third infect, so that I'll kill you on my turn. When you're doing that, I think the one point can be the the, the make or break in the game. So I think Blossoming Defense, I would still play over this card. I think I'd play a mix of both. Um, yeah, yeah. I I think like 
there are matchups where the burst damage is going to be relevant, and there are other matchups where like the counter is going to be relevant because you go like turn two elf and hold this up. They push, you put the counter, and now you've got a two two infect, and you hit them five times and they die, and you defend yourself with counter magic or whatever. I mean, yeah, it's a, I think it's a totally fair point, and I think that is one of the big that that's one of the big constraints of those decks. Those burst decks is that you're not left with anything. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I also think that there are some decks that that react like wanting you to have. Uh, like a like a creature is made better by having a counter on it, or you're looking for ways to put more counters on things. So then this this ends up being like a weird, interesting interactive card in other decks. Um, that it's yeah. both a protection spell and like a build your creature spell. Yeah, cool. Uh, Scott, Alex, I'm gonna go with my number six. Uh, my number six is Jorn, God of Winter, uh, aka Jon Snow. That's my number. That's my uh, number. That's my number five. So I can talk. I can talk on this with you. All right, it's all right. literally my next card. Uh, and then Caldring the Rhyme Staff, one blue and a black. Jorn is two and a green for uh, whenever Jorn attacks, untap each snow permanent you control. It's a three three legendary snow creature god. And Caldring, the Rhyme Staff, is one blue black legendary snow artifact. You may tap it and play a snow permanent card from your graveyard this turn. If you do, it enters the battlefield tapped. So as we mentioned earlier, I think the fact that gods as a legendary permanent and the fact that they kind of act as two cards and they're in many ways split cards is like a versatility option that's really good. I think that a Saltai-based snow deck is going to be extremely controlly and play like a Jun deck. And Jorn is the, like kind of the type of value engine you're looking for that. And more specifically, like the Caldering side, being able to rebuy things that you sack and get rid of is like very powerful. Having a repeatable Snapcaster Major, like it's like Kess, right? It's Kess for snow effects. You could play this with the Merit Liege enchantment that I'm never not going to remember the name of. Merit Liege's Slumber, is that what it's called? Something like that. Uh, it's right there. Yeah, there's other cards too. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Kotal is a snow creature, right? Yes. Yeah, and Jorn plays really nicely there. I think the other thing too, though, um, if you're playing all Snowlands, like the backside of this card is sweet, but the front side of this card reads a lot like Najila. Like, you, I mean, not really like Najila, but like, like of Famine, there right? is a there's yeah there's there's like a world in which it's because it's when it attacks, so it doesn't have to deal damage. Mm-hmm. It triggers on the attack. So there's a world in which we live, like where this untaps all your lands, and you have you know some five color deck that wants to give you multiple attack steps, and you just win the game by having the right set of lands on the battlefield. So I think this card already kind of has the combo potential. Then the fact that the backside of it, if you're playing in like the all value Snowlands deck, even just the backside of this being an extra copy that you tap to just play a land from your graveyard every turn, that might just be enough. Well, the the second Jorn can be a staff that brings back the first Jorn. Right now, you got like. Now you got, you know, a Jorn that you can just keep recasting if they kill it. So if you're really yeah. in the market for untapping your lands, the second Jorn just becomes a staff that gets back the first Jorn. And this is the exact type of deck that's going to be playing Boreal Druids, so they come into play. Jorn can come down on turn two somewhat somewhat often. So, like, there's, like, cool cards. You get stuff like Frost Augur now. can if you have a duel, if you cast your Boreal Druid off a duel, although it would have to be a non-snow duel. <laughs> you also have, like, Cold Steel Heart, yes. you know, if you yeah. want to really commit to this idea, right? You could be ramping. Uh, yeah, I think Cold Steel Heart is definitely, definitely, like, worth playing. Ice Fang Kotal, as we mentioned, is really good. Like, I think there's, like, legitimate, like, a, like a really cool blue-green-black snow deck, and there's, like, enough cards that, like, seem good in there that... And Jorn being this like very centerpiece, both ramp spell with the attack step, like double casting stuff, or on the back end, being able to like use it as Snapcaster Mage, like just like him with counter magic is really good, right? Because you get to play something on your your first main step, attack, and then 
counter whatever spell they have in their hand. And and maybe, you know, during your your first main phase you kill the creature in your way, you attack with Jorn and then you unta- and then you untap your lands and you just have good counter magic up and then you can flash in Ice Fang Codals. Like it plays like Feast of Famine, right? So like Snow Feast of Famine Snapcaster Mage, the same card seems really powerful to me. That's the that's my point, right? Is like the the whole idea of what you said, Michael, about the front and the back interacting so well is where I think that this card's value really lit. like this card may exist as a, as its own engine to build an entirely new, really powerful deck. Um, we just play might be Dead of Winter in your Sultai Snow deck. Yeah, I was gonna. I was All like, I'm going through winter. snow cards in those colors, and there's like some sweet ones. There's That's even the not new... a snow card. It is a is this plain old sorcery, well, but, but uh, it's very good. It is it is a snow tribal card. Uh, Jorn did not make play. my list. I personally think that like the front side seems too fragile to me, and the back side seems too slow. And the fact that it's only permanence means you need you probably want to be putting cards in your own graveyard, which is not a problem. It just it's like a little bit of extra clunkiness added on to how slow it is, where it's like both halves are a three mana do nothing that you then need to like untap with to start getting value. And the staff's not that hard to untap with because it's an artifact, but like you untap with it and then what, you know, in my mind. Um, you- I do think the interaction where you get two of them is really cool and it's a good way to grind. But even then it's like, what's the payoff? Like Jordan also untaps the staff, right? So like you, you get two triggers and it untaps the thing the staff gets the first time. Plus you get three seasons, which is, is like the new saga just as a decent graveyard hate. But like that lets you do the mill thing. If you wanted to do something, I don't know. There's like cool stuff. I think that's a card you're supposed to play in the same deck as Jorn in whatever format you're playing Jorn. Next card. So Jorn was my next card. So that already covered me. So Michael, what's your number five? My number five is Goldspan Dragon. Mm. This card is so cool. (laughs) All right. Again, like my list is definitely influenced by what I think is cool, but also good. That's definitely an honorable mention for me that I seriously consider putting on my list. So, okay. Okay. It's a three red, red, four, four dragon flying haste. Whenever it attacks or becomes the target of a spell, create a treasure token. Treasures you control have tap, sacrifice this artifact, add two mana of any one color. So it is a treasure tribal card. It also makes treasures when it attacks and makes treasures when you when it gets targeted. So in my mind, this is like a Teferi because it's a five drop, right? Oh, five drop in modern. That's never going to make it. But Teferi makes it because he untaps your lands and allows you to do something immediately on your opponent's turn. This card allows you to do something literally immediately before your opponent even gets a turn. If you play this and your opponent immediately goes, you know, path to exile on it, it triggers, you get a treasure, and you can use your treasure to counter their spell with Remand or with Mana Leak or something. That's what you can do if they target immediately. If they don't target immediately, you attack, you get a treasure, you can use it on your second main to play a creature or whatever. Or, or counter Remand, whatever they try playing on their next turn. Same as Teferi. Yeah, it, it also works with other treasures if you have other treasures lying around. I don't think there's a ton of modern playable treasure cards, but um, it, it does synergize with like that new dwarf. I will be talking about it uh, by the end of this this experience. There you go. So it buffs <laughs> it buffs other treasures. So it, like as soon as it hits the battlefield, all your other treasures are twice as good. Treasures you have lying around from previous Goldspan Dragons, perhaps, now get better. Um, yeah, I think I think the Teferi aspect of it is very cool. Now, it is a 4-4 flying haste, more like a win condition for your blue-red X control deck versus a Teferi, which is like a card draw engine that also wins the game. So 
I'm not saying it's as good as Teferi, but it has a similar enough play pattern that I'm pretty interested in it. And it's like more proactive in that it kills them fast or it pressures their planeswalkers fast. This is a card that starts ending the game. It also actually ramps you if you untap with it. You, know, you have five mana, you attack, you get a treasure. If you get to untap with it, you attack again, you get another treasure. Now you have 10 mana. I think this card's really sweet. I like all the idea of, I mean, I wish that there were more free spells. I built a list immediately that was all like mutagenic growth and like and gut shots and like lava darts and all of the things. I could oh, I wasn't even <laughs> thinking about targeting yourself, targeting it yourself. But yes, you can do that. And like I said, Frank Carson uh, did have a combo with this. It's a one mana enchantment, one mana aura that you can pay one to return it to your hand. So you like. Yes. Crown of Flames, I think it's called. Is that right? So you do go infinite? No, you just you just get uh, infinite triggers. So you, with crown of, infinite, with crown of... you get infinite storm. Oh, oh, and then oh, you can yeah, use oh. the last treasure to cast Grape Shot. Shot. Got it. Or I think it's called I think it's called Crown of Flames. I think it's I think it's one red uh and it's like a plus it's like a fire breathing enchantment for one red that for one red you can return it to your hand i think so that I card I, did, I don't believe is in modern yeah it's from invasion yeah. but but the card he was talking about was a blue card it was like shimmering wings or something it's from 10th edition yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's fair um so yeah it, yeah, it, yeah. It, but, shimmering wings from 10th edition uh enchanted creature has flying and you can pay a blue to return it to its owner's hand but the treasure makes whatever color you want so you can make blue blue with it easy and then yeah. the last about treasure once you have storm count you can you can cast grape shot that's not how i'm advocating using this card but if you wanted to do that you could i love this card i i, I don't have my list but it is because I actually didn't realize it was also when it attacks. I thought it just was when it gets targeted by your opponent's spells, not even that you could target it. I like didn't read the first yep. ability correctly. This card is uh, yep. gas and is like your Teferi comparison is spot on. And you don't need it to have treasure because before I was like, okay, this is great in commander. I'm going to use it with uh, uh, a Dockside Extortionist. And I'm going to win the game every time. In modern, I just didn't realize this first ability just like really does. It like gives you the two mana you need to now protect this and you domed them for four. It's a wing con that protects itself. It, it doesn't protect itself in that it has like some inherent ability to protect itself or like it gives you the, yeah. it, it just protects itself in that like you can tap out for this safely and not have to worry about it getting killed. I'm, like you can just start beating them up and be proactive, not proactive, right. but you can be reactive with counter spells while you have this. on the And you can the re battle. and you can react to their remove. Like if the, if they if you cast this and they pad the exile it you get the treasures first to be able to counter it before their path resolves. So I, yep. yeah, I think then that's you get to attack and you get two more mana. This card's fire. Uh, next we're on number five. I've got Burgie God of storytelling and the horn on the other side that I don't, I don't actually know. That's the green. Is that the green one that we talked? No, 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 no it's the red one. That is the red, red God. One. Two red, three, three. Whenever you Her cast... backside is Harnfell Horn of Bounty. Harnfell Horn of Bounty. The front side is Tuna Red. Whenever you cast a spell, add red mana. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. Creatures you control can boast twice during each of your turns rather than once. I plan on, well, I guess I play Arena. I and limited will play of this format, but like, I like honestly don't think that'll ever be relevant in my life. Uh, Harnfell, Horn of Bounty, Forna Red, Legendary Artifact, discard a card, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play those cards this turn. Um, this is another Storm card, uh, plus just really good card. Like you, every spell you cast makes a red mana. That's the Electromancer effect that then on the other side, when you draw two of them, lets you discard those land cards you don't want to draw two cards. One of them, 1.5 of them are probably good. Uh, this card's nuts. I, how did this horn get printed? <laughs> Luckily, it is. It isn't. It doesn't just let you go through your whole deck. That was a take I saw on the internet. I was like, oh, this card would be way better if it drew you two cards. I was like, yes. 
that would be the best card draw five drop ever printed uh, and would be banned immediately. But sure. <laughs> Card's really good. It didn't uh, it didn't actually make my list. I um, It's in I my like honorable mentions. I think yeah. being three mana makes it much harder to play in like in place of Goblin Electromancer. But the backside is very relevant because if you need a Goblin Electromancer to set up, it does that. If you're already going off and you're like starting to fizzle, you play it on the backside. Does that too. Also, like it, 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 it's any spell, not just, um, not just incinder sorcery, which is relevant. And the fact that it makes red mana can be relevant as well, instead of goblin electromancer just giving a discount. Yeah. Um. So like it goes infinite with um. Grinning Ingus, uh, the the one where you can it's a three drop two two that you can pay a red to return it to your hand and add yeah. three mana from Future Sight. Future, Future Sight, baby. Ben? You yeah. would know. It's a <laughs> that and Storm. That and Storm Entity were the uh, the two uh, red uncommons. Similar spot. Yeah. So so it goes infinite with that in a way that Goblin Electromancer doesn't. I don't know that there is a Storm deck that wants to do that over just traditional Storm, but I do think the horn is like very appealing as a backside to this because like drawing too many goblin electromancers is not good right right <laughs> never also any deck whether it's storm or not any deck that's looking to play a lot of spells and really add a lot of mana with this card is gonna flood out because you're like playing all these rando cantrips you're like oh see land on top scry to the bottom oh i got another land serum right. visions draw land oh scry two okay now i get to like anytime you're playing a lot of cantrips in any deck be it like a kiln fiend deck or prowess or whatever you're gonna end up with a lot of lands in your hand that you can't do anything with and this horn just lets you pitch them all and turn them into gas at a, at a two for one rate which is a good rate yep. <laughs> the fact the fact that also like like i would even try this in jund right like this is this is like the front half is like a three mana three three that like you blood braid into is great and fine and like you playing this on curve on three after you thought sees them and play a beater is like it doesn't do a lot uh but you untap with it and you're like kind of ahead like all of your thought seizes and removal spells generating mana can get you ahead um and then the back end of this is like what jund wants in life just like being able to outvalue your opponent when you're both in top tech mode and you're just like i drew land that's two new cards is like something i would just be interested in and it's like so hard to get rid of um yeah i i I really like this card i think it's really cool it is a discard outlet that like digs you for your combo pieces so if you're in the market for that i mean you can literally just pitch your hand and draw you know 10 cards or whatever (laughs) (laughs) sure hope i find a uh reanimate all right (laughs) my number four is in search of greatness green green enchantment the beginning of your upkeep, you may cast a permanent spell from your hand with converted mana cost equal to one plus the highest converted mana cost among other permanents you control without paying its mana cost. If you don't, scry one. It's interesting that this card and Pyre of Heroes are both in the same set. They they have similar like two drops that have this like plus one engine sort of feeling to them. Um, obviously, one I think is better than the other, but uh, In Search of Greatness, I think, is just an interesting card. It it has great art also. Oh, the art's really, amazing. Like, cool. Uh, so we really have cool discussed. Art. I don't remember if it was in the pre-show or if it was off it was camera. It was off you camera. Cannot, you cannot put Mirror Superior into play with this, which is no. a travesty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't. And now that I'm realizing that, I think I'm going to take this off my list, actually. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I had uh, this on my list, and then me and Michael pre-show were talking about it, and then we realized that it is not one more or less. It is exactly one more than the largest permanent yeah. type you have. So it's just like on one hand on turn three, you will get to cast a three drop for free. 
right? Like that's that's yep. like that's the goal here. And if that's what you're trying to do, and if there's a mere superior but three mana, like the what's the five six flying that needs zombies to be exiled? Scab ruin. You can scab uh, ruinator. Scab ruinator with this boy. Superion. That's the new mere superior. We've done it. Um, they used to both be. They, they were they were both in the vile version of the deck that I played years ago with Marab Averbrook. So that's that's what took it off the list. By the way, is that vile exists, and I don't think this pairs well with vile, and I would play vile over it most of the time like where sadly. where you are missing the big payoff of in search of greatness in my search for greatness i discovered that uh delve creatures are the key to this card being sweet so like i can i can like basically because of modern shenanigans with fetch lands and all kinds of you know the way that you can get like an angler down so fast if i just like cast angler uh on turn three uh, and then on turn four, I get like an eight drop from my hand for free. That's like really Grizzle beefy. Brand or- there's a, there's an, yeah, there's like so much power now you just get in modern. Um, now, granted, if they kill my angler before that happens, so be it. I've like put a lot of energy into this happening. You, you do always get to scry. So if you're playing some clunky five drop with, or this with some clunky eight drop or whatever, you like get to scry. So if you don't have the angler, you can scry it to the bottom. If you do have the angler, you can like scry to try and find it. Like that is relevant if you're playing this as a combo card. Well, also if you're playing multiple delve creatures for the purpose of, of handling this, and one of them is Tassiger and one of them is Angler. Tassiger can always cast Angler for free if you have Tassiger in play when you've already exhausted your delve graveyard. And then if you do have Gristlebrand or you do have something else really sweet um, that is like harder to cast. Uh, yeah, so I, I think there's interesting stuff here. This is this is not that different from a, like a lot of those like Eldritch Evolution Neoform style cards. They they all kind of similarly interact with each other. Those ones search obviously. Um, this one just from your hand, but I still think this card's really cool and I think it has mad potential. So I wanted to put it high because it's cheap. It's green green. Like there's a lot you can do with this card. That makes sense. It is kind of like a proactive Neoform. It doesn't search your deck, so in that way it's worse. But it it like you play it out and you scry. And then, like, eventually you get there. Also, just, like, tur- turn two in search of greatness. Turn three, I get two three drops because I play one and I get the other one for free. Is, like, what Collected Company essentially really wants to be doing the turn that you play Collected Company. Like, granted, you're getting them out of your deck as opposed to both out of your hand. So that's where, like, you suffer the most. But it's yeah. a, you're accelerating it a six mana worth of value on turn three very easily. I think this, this is card. just another piece in the Satesian Champion Enchantress three drop deck because getting that in the play and then you get to play an enchant you get to like o-ring their thing and draw a card and now you have a two four and you got this thing in there that's gonna get you another i get get you a four drop probably the other enchantress uh draw card and then you're drawing lots of cards it just keeps escalating so many cards yeah this is this is not on my list and i wouldn't put it there after this discussion but uh it's definitely cuter than i thought having had this it's dropped down significantly lower on my list than i thought it was when i put it on there so so that's my that's my number four in search of greatness michael what's your number four my number four is Realm Walker. It is a two and a green creature shapeshifter 2-3. Has changeling. Uh, as it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. You may look at the top card of your library, and at any time, you may cast creature spells of the chosen type from the top of your library. Uh, another tribal card. Plays well in an elf deck. Uh, allows you to grind. Digs for combo pieces. It is collected companyable. It is tutorable with all of your favorite tutors. 
Um, it has the creature relevant creature types. So, you know, you get an elf off your Elvish Warmaster, your Elvish Arch Druid taps for a mana, you can tap it for a mana with your Heritage Druid. Elves is an obvious place for it. I think it could get played in like Spirits or Blue-Green Merfolk or whatever green tribal deck you've got. I think the rate on this is good enough and it like is an effect that sometimes tribal decks are struggling for because it draws cards. I think it's a pretty clear-cut option for many a tribal deck. It's funny. Alex and I talked about this card at length on our uh, like preview episode, like when spoilers a few weeks ago. We had a whole conversation about this card, and I was pretty convinced of everything that you are saying. Like at the time, I like kind of agreed. I think I said it's exactly those like, same decks. Looking at it, the more I think now, the the less I think that this card is going to work in a tribal deck in modern. And I think the reason is because I don't think that three mana that you need to untap with to have like a lot of value off the top in a creature deck is necessarily what a lot of the decks want. Maybe Blue Green Merfolk is the one that feels the most significant, but even that's competing with other three drops. Like that's most powerful if you have Mara Regery, which is just another three drop that you already have to have. Um, well, I think being so, able to hit this off of Collected Company or being able to tutor for it with Ford of Calling and stuff uh, yeah. makes it a lot more appealing. And also, like, Elves, for example, you're making a ton of mana anyway. Like, you have mana to spend. You need cards. It's it's a it's a good card, for not. sure. It just seemed a little less exciting than I thought. It felt like it would be, end up taking up a slot that was important in most of the decks that it's in that I think would be better served with, like, the velocity that that deck wanted. But you're probably right. I... I, for some reason, I got cold feet on Realm Right. Decided to Realm Walker and decided to put uh, in search for greatness instead. I think Arts was sweet. I, I agree that like I think in Elves it's at its best. I think the ability that deck makes so much mana that it like being able to cast every card off the top that's not a land is like going to be very valuable. It's a three drop and it's another three drop Elf that is good, and that deck has a lot of those that it has a, as options. Yes. This does do something. Collected company decks do like to play three true. drops. That is true. I've heard. Uh, and it is yep. different enough from other ones that it offers a weakness of the deck, which is like the top of my deck is not in my hand. <laughs> so so I do like that about it. Um, I think it's good. I think I think it's a good card. Yeah, your... I don't know that it's like staple. Four of an elves, four of an spirits. F- Merfolk is going to be blue green 100% of the time and they're going to play four. Like, I don't think it's that good, but yeah. I do think like you're at least going to be thinking about it for all those decks and I do think it's going to get played like at least as a tutor target. The more tutoring that you can do for this card, the more likely it is to see play in, those de- in a deck just because like it's ability yeah. to do Just that. Three mana is like a very good rate for your future site and the fact that this has relevant creature types for whatever your tribal deck is yep. so it gets pumped by yep. your supreme phantom or it gets spirit you know, token it, yeah spirits take advantage of it or it taps for mana with your heritage druid like the fact that it does all those things and is just like a very aggressive rate for a future site i think is strong yep. uh my number five is magda whenever a dwarf you becomes you control becomes tapped to create a treasure token sacrifice five treasures search your library for an artifact or dragon card and put that card on the battlefield then shuffle your library it is a two one four one and a red and other dwarves you control get plus one plus zero i think that this is a little bit of a future pull and there is enough of the pieces that exist out there right now that make it fine but both treasures and dwarves are things that they are going to keep printing good versions of especially treasures they have committed the treasures in ways that i didn't think they would even and magda is going to be better with every card that has the word treasure on it that is printed including your dragon friend uh and then add the layer that dwarf is a creature type that is popular is like very fantasy driven and it does have like playable dwarves right like if you go to kaladesh there's the one drop artifact one that's a three one for one tool that, craft exemplar that dude, is that dude the who's like this yes he's like yeah but specifically being able to cheat any artifact in your graveyard in your deck into play for five mana 
ostensibly, but like five mana that you can earn, not through playing lands, but through cards that create those mana in uh, the way that treasures are created is like... I ended up putting this card on my honorable mentions list instead. And the big reason is because when I looked at this card, the first thing that it came to mind for me was Dockside Extortionist. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's like insane. But then I was like, you can't play that in modern. And like Dockside's already just insane. Like that card's already so good. Mm-hmm. And what it you're also doing wouldn't be commander. good in modern because your opponent wouldn't control as many artifacts. Right, right, right. They right. do in commander. So then I was like, Magda probably has to work pretty hard and, and be in a certain kind like a deck that wants to plus your dwarves and be attacking. I don't know if that's necessarily a deck that has like I mean, I love the flavor, by the way, of like the dwarves having their gold and like trading all of their gold for like Smaug, basically. That's like extremely sick. And I just like imagining this card and just having Benedict Cumberbatch like narrate this card. Um, <laughs> but that being said, I think that this card's really cool. There's probably a combo deck that will eventually get built with it, but it just felt like a lot of work maybe in a deck that wouldn't want to do that work for that payoff, at least the way I see it right now. Well, like like the the payoffs are all... Well, A, right now a lot of dwarves are artificers, right? So like even the, the small side of this payoff where you're not just... Like you just have one good artifact target that you can tutor into play, but you can play cards that are just like fine if you have to. Um, yeah. That like if you draw them, they're not they're not bad cards. And then the fact that... To me, like two mana lords are always something to look at, right? Like like two mana yep. plus one plus zero to a tribe that has not seen a lot of printings, but is like on a short list of very easy to see wizards printing a lot more of moving forward. And especially now that they're back and people responded to them so positively. I, I, I just think like that added to a layer that there is just a I win the game button attached to this card because at instant speed on the end of your opponent's turn, you can sneak in a Lifesteal Colossus is like not a thing to laugh at at a 2-1 that also is a 2-1 that just every time it taps you make a treasure token uh um, so that is your number th- that's your number four yes, right yes okay so i wonder of our top three because i don't think one of my three is on your top threes but i will go with my all right i'll go with my number three because i yeah i'll go i'll go with my number three is valky god of lies one black one colorless two one legendary creature god when valky enters the battlefield each opponent reveals their hand for each opponent exile a creature card they revealed this way until valky leaves the battlefield for colorless x uh choose a creature card exiled with valky with converted mana cost x valky becomes a copy of that card and then it flips valky flips into a seven mana planeswalk flip it you, you can cast it as a seven oh, oh sure here yeah, now that I'm rereading this card, this should have been higher on my list. Um, five loyalty. Uh, it flips into Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter. As Tybalt enters the battlefield, you get an emblem with you may play exiled cards with Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter, and you pay spend mana, as there were mana of any color, to cast those spells. Plus two, exile the top card of each player's library. Minus three, exile target artifact or creature. Minus eight, exile all cards from all graveyards. Add red, red, red. This should be my number. Uh, but it's not. It's my number three, and I stand by it. Can't wait to hear two and one. I think I'm going to like them. Uh, I have opinions on this card. I'm going to save it for when I say it in uh, one and or two cards. That isn't this card. Do we want to have our do we want to wait for number one and have the Valky conversation then? Or do you want to have it now in the middle? We could we could wait to have the full conversation by Valky. But I'll, I'll, I'll give why don't, why don't I do this? Yep. I'll give like a couple points about this card that I think are sweet. Okay. And then you guys don't need to respond to it. We can get moving when it gets to you. We can all have the, the pile on Great. conversation. Okay. Um, I mean, the thing that right on the front of this card that is just like the thing is that this just takes Uro out of their hand and then for three just becomes Uro, which like that's the sickest thing that this card probably does because Uro is one of the most powerful creatures ever printed. So like, uh, it's just a pretty bonkers. You just cast this, take it out of their hand, make this Uro and then attack and like just value, value, value. Um, but like 
brain maggot and cards like that are bad for the most part. Like they're, this is for each opponent. Like they didn't even, they didn't even tone it down. It's, it's a literally, it's a commander state. It's commander also. It's so good. And then the, the big thing, the thing that I always talk about is like the scalability of cards, right? Like is it good early? Is it good late? And the fact that this thing is the best version of this rate, basically on a creature printed at two, but it's also a seven mana planeswalker at the same time is just bonkers. So you're not supposed to get a seven mana planeswalker for the rate of the best brain maggot ever printed or sculler or whatever the cards are. So all those things, I think those are the face value things. Those are my Valky thoughts. I'll save that for the rest of what you guys have to say once it rounds back to you. There's, God, there's more to be said. There yeah. is oh. more to be said. I will say that I'm hyped that Tybalt is like the best card in a set in an era when every set prints some of the best cards ever printed uh, after being the worst <laughs> for so long. Um, Michael, it is your turn to say your number three. My number three is Halvar, God of Battle. Really? He is... Oh, yes. Mm. Well, there is happens to be a mono-white deck already playable in Modern that's very interested in this effect. All right, let me continue. It is a two-white-white two 4-4. Four, four. Legendary creature god. Creatures you control that are enchanted or equipped have double strike. At the beginning of each combat, you may attach target aura or equipment attached to a creature you control to target creature you control. And then if it has an alternate card you can cast sword of the realms one in a white equipped creature has plus two plus oh and has vigilance whenever equipped creature dies return it to its owner's hand costs one in a white to equip uh so this card goes into the hammer time decks as they are often known uh which for those of you who do not know it is a very popular very uh successful modern deck that is often mono white sometimes splashing colors for interaction or whatever since white does not do that very well. Uh, but it's playing Colossus Hammer with Sigarda's Aid, which Sigarda's Aid is a one-mana enchantment. You may cast R and equipment spells as though they had flash. Whenever an equipment enters a battlefield under your control, you may attach it to target creature you control. It also plays four Pure Steel Paladin and has some eggy aspects, since Colossus Hammer is a one-mana um, equipment. It plays, you know, like Cranial Plating, Shadow Spear, Paradise Mantles, a little bit of egginess to go with Pure Steel Paladin. Pure Steel Paladin also allows you to equip Colossus Hammer for free if you have some other equipment lying around. What I like about Halvar um, is that it allows you to do it with a hammer that's been discarded. So a lot of the time what'll happen discarded is an off your creature, not discarded from your hand. I realize that's an operative word in magic. Uh, but what so ideally you like play Sigarda's Aid on turn one, or play a creature on turn one, and then on turn two, you play Sigarda's Aid, Hammer, you try and attack for, you know, your damage or whatever. Um, you're equipping it to your Mem Knight or whatever. And uh, you're trying to attack, and they have a removal spell. They fatal push your Mem Knight. And you're like, oh, God, what am I going to do with this hammer? I need three equipment to make my Pure Steel Paladin go off. I'm not even playing that many. Um, well, I have good news. This Halvari will equip it for you. Uh, it also is an equipment that's not irrelevant. It like keeps the creature alive, so you can kind of grind through removal a little bit. Also, the fact that both halves, like... Like it's it's a it's a fifty fifty deck, so sometimes you draw the wrong half and you're just like, I have all the equipment. I guess I can't do anything. Right. Halvar comes down as a creature that can take advantage of it. Or it's like, oh, I drew all of the creatures, but none of the equipment that these creatures want to have. And Halvar's like, well, I have this equipment for you. Here's some right. card like draw. You can, you can <clears throat> cast it to cantrip off of Pure Steel Paladin. You can use it to get Metalcraft for Pure Steel Paladin. You can, you know, like the fact that you can cast the equipment is not irrelevant in the deck. Although I think Halvar is the more appealing side. Uh, the one problem is that uh, the deck is uh, often playing Luris Companion. It does not mesh with this. But yep. it... 
it's like an option. Yeah, yeah. If you want it, if you want instead of Luros to have like more versatility, maybe out of those cards, that right. helps. Like, like the backside kind of protects your creatures in the way that Luris does, and the front side helps you equip random hammers and stuff you have lying around. I think it's cool they've leaned so much more into double sided cards. I think like it's just it's a pretty fun part of Magic, and I think like our good friend Andrew Brown, he always would say uh, the best kind of Magic is when you get to play more Magic. That's why Magic cards. He likes to design cards and be a part of the thought experiment that you know are those cards it makes it better when the game is that way and so double face cards i think are a great 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 part of that it's the versatility of, of cards that can cost one and cost four or you know that can do two different things i think it's great it's better for magic i think one thing i am excited so uh this is a mid announcement before we get to the rest of the top three. We are doing a commander stream on Monday night at 730 where we are going to play with only commanders from this set and all new brews I the reason I'm reminded uh, in playing Halvar and the sword. That is, that is that is the deck I'll be playing tonight. So check out to the stream, 7.30 p.m. PST on Monday uh, night. But it, it lives on YouTube forever. So if you missed Monday night and you're watching this on Tuesday, it's there already. You could just, after you're done watching this, go, if you want to just keep listening to us talk at each other, go see what Halvar does in playing Mono White Commander for the very first time. I've never had a Mono White Commander deck. This will be the first attempt at this. So it'll be interesting. It was also Maya Michael's birthday stream. We're doing some some. We're doing mono green. We're doing mono white. We're doing birthdays. I'm playing Finn. I'm playing Finn the Fangbearer, and mm. I haven't. I've never built a mono colored commander deck. So there you go. But yeah, I will say in my haphazard uh, ranking these top ten since I didn't do it before the cast started. Uh, I think I probably rated him a little high since I don't know if losing Luris is worth it for this this year four drop in your pretty low to the ground combo deck. But it is a logical progression for the deck. So I Luris could be banned. At some point as well. Well, if Luris gets banned, I think uh, Halvar's stonks are going up. My number three uh, is is a is a spicy one. It's Masked Vandal. One in a green, two, one three, Shapeshifter Changeling. When Masked Vandal enters the battlefield, you may exile a creature card from your graveyard. If you do, exile target enchantment or artifact in opponent controls. Uh, the reason this is so high for me is two. One is a Changeling at two mana that has an extremely relevant ability. Like, th- all the other Changelings that are out there that cost this little don't do anything. <laughs> and it's like... Like... I have played many a thing that destroys an artifact or enchantment. This exiles an artifact or enchantment. It does have the cost of getting rid of a creature in your graveyard, but I think that this just like, there are ways to make that happen for you. And the value on this is like very high for how little it costs and it being a shapeshifter, like just lets it play in all the tribal decks on the planet, right? Like spirits, elves getting a artifact and enchantment removal spell. That is a creature of the creature type that's relevant is something that I think is worthwhile to pay attention to at that low of a cost. I think it's a smart pick, honestly. I had kind of missed this card. Um, I think that having the creature in your graveyard at the opportune time is going to sometimes be a little bit of a pain in the butt, um, like early when you like really need it to happen. But I think that what your your point's pretty sound here, which is that like the Rex Ages of the world, um, you know, those all those types of cards that I have played many of in my time, Kozali Pride Mages and all that. Um, they're very good cards. They're they're usually super like super helpful. Um, do a lot often. Um, I guess these days, Night of Autumn is the card in that brand that we're talking about. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is cool. The fact that it costs two and it can go in any in any tribal deck is really strong. Yeah, I think my problem with this it it almost made my list. I do think the rate is is very good. Two mana changeling that does this is strong because like Reclamation Sage costs three, Night of Autumn costs three. There's two strikes against it. I think 
the main green tribal deck in my mind is elves, and they are playing. Um, well, elves, 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 spirits, and humans. Yeah, yeah. So, so spirits and humans can play this. I guess my strike against it is that I don't think there are very many decks that you want this effect that are also putting a creature in your graveyard. So, like, it does exile Heliod, which is pretty cool, and that deck might have Walking Ballisted one of your creatures away. And then, like, Hammer Time is not really interacting with you that much, so getting rid of one of their equipment is not a big deal. I think exiling Heliod is pretty relevant, though. I think that's that's a pretty big game. It is a pretty big game. You just have to have a creature in your graveyard to do it. Yeah, yeah. We live in a world where exile artifacts and enchantments is good. The question is, is, like... Because the, the, the other half, like, and, and, and is where I'm considering is like, well, and, and my number two card, which I guess I think it sounds like is all of our number two card. So th- part of the thing that I liked about this card is its relationship to my number two card and like the power level of that card and taking advantage of every word that is on this card is is relevant there. Having a creature card in your graveyard is super conditional in particular for this card because... When at the times that you want this effect and against the decks that you want this effect, I feel like you're having a creature card in your graveyard is going to be a steep cost. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be like you want this against Jun, where they just like have infinite removal spells because this effect isn't good against them. Right. It doesn't do anything. Right, right, right. You want this effect to disrupt people's like combos or their like, you know, disrupt their shenanigans. But decks that are doing shenanigans are probably not putting very many creatures in your graveyard. So. That that was kind of the the strike for me. That and the fact that like rec- elves get reclamation sage anyway, so it's not even relevant in like every green tribal sure, deck sure. since like one of the major ones doesn't um, gets a better option. I also probably just had elves on the brain because of all the elves on my list, but oh, <laughs> and changeling cards that are basically elves. Yeah, uh, Ben. So what is thought, what yeah. is your number two? Uh, my number two is another foretell card. Oh. It is Doomscar. Oh, interesting. Doomscar is the number two card for me. Um, it is white, white, three sorcery, destroy all creatures. It has foretell white, white one. Maybe I overvalued this card, but in my mind, the idea that a control deck, um, and specifically a modern control deck, like the blue white decks that will sometimes play two copies of, you know, the terminus will be in there sometimes. And sometimes they'll play two copies, one to two copies of Supreme verdict. But the idea that this card, again, it can, it can sit there and that you're going to be able to get it for three mana in the moment that you want it, that you time it out. You just play it on turn two. You don't care. Fine. Tap out on turn two. I play this card face down. It's the same thing as the counter spell, right? And actually the fact that they both exist, I think is pretty strong, but the fact that this thing just sits there and then in the turn that you actually want to use it. Cause remember so often in these control matchups, like if this became a defining card, it's about who's going to have the extra counterspell to protect their thing, right? So, like, or, you know, are, are they, is, is the tempo deck going to have the counterspell to counter your wrath or whatever? Like, the idea that you have this thing sitting there and it's only going to cost you three to use it, when traditionally three mana wraths, they suck. They aren't good. Um, they are usually not very good. And Terminus is a card that in modern, at least, you don't have nearly as much control over. It's a great card but you don't have nearly as much control over when to use it as you would have in like a legacy. So I think the idea that you can use this card for three mana later in the game with the ability still to hold open like a counter spell and a draw spell, whatever, protect your win condition, whatever you're doing. Like, I think this card's really good. Uh, I think, and this, I think this card's going to bear out as one of the better, one of the better wraths ever printed. Uh, so not on my list. Uh, it is marked, it is scratched off like four times. And at one point it was my number four. At one point it was my number seven. Then it went back to number three and then it became my 10. And then I cut it uh, later on. 
Um, this is the definition of evaluating Fortel. Yeah. This is the one I think <laughs> that we're all in the same boat of like, how good is Fortel actually? Because if it's really good, this card's going to be defining. It's going to be a, an iconic card. If it's totally average or bad, then this card, I'm going to have egg on my face. And this is just like, why was this my number two? This is the one where I was like, a five mana board wipe is bad and modern right that that that's kind of where i got to and like the other foretell cards i picked were ones that are like you know what i could cast i could cast a fork for red and a red in modern like i could be the fact that the upside of this is insane and the fact that the bat downside is fine the counter spell i'll cancel something that's fine even the scry effect is an instant four mana draw two cards and scry two i believe and that is fine so like this one was like in in standard and in uh arena based formats this is the best board wipe i think in those well i think they printed wrath of god in historic but 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 in standard it's the best it's the best board wipe and it might even be better than wrath of god depending on how this pans out keep in mind the thing about this card that i think people need to remember when you're when you're the control deck and you're on the draw and they're playing the super aggro start you want to have the wrath but on turn four you wrath and they know they have until turn four you play this on turn two and then they look at you and they go if I like super overextend and play all of my hand out so I can like totally wreck you, you you're one turn faster with your wrath because you can just wrath their board on your turn three. That's again, why this card I think is so good is like you have the early game protection. You have like sure. kind of that like anger of the gods type of effect. You know, white usually doesn't have access to it that early that cheap. Yeah, no. And, and, and is modern a format where you have the ability to take off turn two to board wipe on turn three. And, and, and it absolutely could be right. Like the, the, especially play draw is super relevant. And this card is either very high end. And I, and and this, this comes with the fact that like, I wish I knew how Fortel is going to play out of modern. And like, I can't, I can't say that right now. And this card has the swingiest thing, as you said, we're at five mana. If Fortel is not good, the backside of this is not good. But if Fortel is good, the front side of this is insane. A three-mana board wipe is a very, very, very good card. And and it depends on, A, where the modern metagame is and how punishing it, you can be punished by playing a two-drop board wipe. Like, I guess the other hand is, out of the sideboard, this card is probably amazing. I, I will give credit towards, like, one of the best sideboard cards out of this format. And when I say that, in the sense that, like... In a main deck, it's not great because you can't tap out on turn two as a control deck in modern for this card, not knowing what your opponent is doing and or or, or even having like a loose understanding because you could play this and then they infect kill you or that, you know, or they, they like get the things in play that you needed to counter and now you can't and now you're wrecked. Um, they ad nauseum you to death. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I agree that this card could be the best card in the set. And I also agree that it might be like I- not played at all. <laughs> I think it is the best Fortel card, but I also think that it is a, it is the Fortel card that probably suffers the most from being forecasted because Wraths are like pretty easy to play around if you if your opponent sees it coming. So if this is the only Fortel card that gets played in Modern, it's a lot worse. If even if it's one of two, maybe one of three. Like if you're blue eye control and you're playing like the counter spell, the card draw, and this. Firstly, I think your deck's really clunky. But even if you're doing that, playing this, like your opponent is like, okay, they probably have a ref. I'm going to play around it. I'm going to like, you know, take my turn three to not develop the board. I'm going to draw cards or I'm going to, you know, burn their face or I'm going to play a Planeswalker or a Heliod or something or I'm going to hold up mana for a counter spell or, you know, I get that this card, you take a turn off and it allows you to be like very mana efficient in the future, but your opponent like 
really does get to play around it, especially in modern where there's not, probably not a ton of foretell cards that are playable. I also, like I said, I'm just kind of low on foretell, but I do think this is the best foretell card, and it was hovering close to my honorable mentions because I think that being the best foretell card is definitely something, and three mana wrath is very appealing. Uh, is a very appealing Christmas land, right? But I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. It doesn't get there for me. So we we talked uh, Doomscar. So uh, Michael, did you already reveal your number two? No, my number two is Bind the Monster. You put Bind the Monster as your number two? Is it the blue one? Yeah, card's dope. All right. It's a (laughs) one-mana aura enchant creature. When Bind the Monster enters the battlefield, tap enchanted creature. It deals damage to you equal to its power. Enchanted creature doesn't untap during its controller's tap step. This is a one-mana removal spell. Now, obviously, taking damage is relevant because the times when you most want a one-mana removal spell, your life total may be in jeopardy. And it does not, like, remove combo creatures or whatever. Um, but I just feel like this has got to be a card that shows up in people's sideboards forever. Like either you don't have access to black or you don't want to give your opponent a land with path to exile, or, you know, you're an aggressive deck like merfolk or something, but you don't want to splash white because you don't want to like ruin your mana base and you want to play muta vaults or, you know, whatever, or maybe you're not merfolk. Maybe it's like a death shadow deck or something and taking the damage is kind of an upside. Now, Obviously, in Death Shadow decks, you have access to Fatal Push, which is a much better card in almost every situation. But I just, this card feels so efficient to me. And yes, taking damage is a big downside. And I don't think like control decks are ever going to be interested in this, really. But I just, one mana removal spell in mono blue, it feels like it's got to be something for me. I looked at it. uh, I looked at it and I seriously thought about it um, because I. The rate is so good. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. I, I really thought about it. I guess let me let me put it to you this way. So let's say that you're using this somewhere sort of early in the game ish, right? Like let's let's say that's a three power creature. Let's let's pretend that like you're 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 tapping down and getting rid of something with three power. Um and you play this for one blue. So you take three damage. How different is that really from like pongifying or rapid hybridization one of their creatures at instant speed? It's different, obviously. Like I'm I know you're a big rapid hybridization fan, but Murfolk, like, Murfolk you, you can't get around a three three. My my point wasn't to say that it's not to necessarily compare the cards because I, I do understand the value of having a creature off the table. I think my point is that there's a downside to that card that it is a one mana blue destroy target creature that does exist and it's existed this whole time. Mono blue decks had a way to destroy something for one mana instant speed. It's never even remotely. It's never been like a thing people try. It's not even the equivalent of like, oh maybe like, this is better than we think. It's like turning their. Th- Turning their three power creature into a different three power creature does not appeal to me. Turning their taking three damage once to make their three power creature basically dead uh, does appeal to me. Also, you can use this on like mana elves. Like if your opponent goes turn one Arbor Elf and you're just like, got yeah. him. I don't want to pongify my opponent's Arbor Elf on turn one. That sounds terrible. Yeah. I think this card's really good. Uh, I think that like my issue with it is the decks that it is best in are decks that are not that good in modern anymore. Yeah, be that as it may, I think this is a card that is legal in modern and will always be getting better. Even like the blue-red prowess decks, like it triggers prowess, it kills a creature for one mana no matter how big it is. Sure. Like that's true, and it clears don't... the path. Clears the path for your your swift spear or whatever else. Yeah, like, to it, just make yeah. Sure like this this gets rid of an uro or a primeval titan at great cost to your life total. But it's not like the uro deck or the primeval titan is putting pressure on your life total. You just need to kill them dead. You need to tap down their blocker and you need to attack with your 
Soulscar mages. And it is a really good way to get rid of Uro, actually. It does the job. <laughs> <laughs> if your opponent has Uro in play, you do need to kill them. And, you know, this is a way to, to maybe get it done. Yeah, I think this card's good. I think it, it, it's arguably a miss to not have it in top 10. Uh, honestly, I think this this set is like a bunch of versatile cards that it was hard to eliminate stuff. And I like that this card made it. Just one mana is too efficient for me. I get that maybe, yes, there isn't a good deck for it right now or the metagame is weirdly positioned. But it's just a one mana blue removal spell. Yeah, I guess I guess like Vendetta has been legal. Vendetta has been legal in the format since its inception and has seen very little play and the question when you is, have access to black you just play fatal push well, or you play i'm saying since the beginning yeah. right like early on i think there's some truth to it I, I it definitely crossed my mind when i read it uh but i just don't think people did ask about it i, think, I don't know i think it'll see you more play right. than orvar if that makes <laughs> so uh, uh, there's only so alex i believe you and i, I have think it same... will see more play than most of the cards on my list that's why it's number two yeah, yeah that's fair yeah. I believe you and I have the same number two. Uh, I think we have. It seems it seems that you have alluded to it. Uh, I believe we How both many, have Pyre of Heroes. Yeah, yeah Pyre of Heroes number is two. my number two as well. Oh yeah, honorable mention. Sorry, fellas. Oh, man, uh, this card is Birthing Pod, but you have to be playing Tribal cards. Now the thing about those Tribal cards is that they also printed a bunch of Changelings. Of those Changelings, there's one that exiles an artifact or enchantment. If you have a creature in play, conveniently put there by your Pyre. Uh, you also have the ability to get stuff like Moretta of the <sighs> Frost, which copies a thing for five mana. Uh, and pretty much, they printed at this point. There is a like versatile enough changeling at every converted mana cost that you can use it to chain up to the combo pieces you need to go infinite and play birthing pod add that to the fact that like there are decks now that i think i would play birthing pod in that are tribal decks that aren't just on the combo and the fact that this leans you in those directions is spicy to me and i love this card a great deal i'm glad birthing pod is back on the menu boys and i'll be eating at the birthing pod buffet (laughs) I don't know that much to say about this card. I feel like it was the, when it was when it was spoiled. A lot of conversation had was had, like had. I'm gonna, For me, it's more of just a the whole. Go ahead. I'm gonna read it. I forgot that we haven't read it out loud. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Pyre of Heroes is two mana for an artifact. Tube tap. Sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a creature card that shares a creature type with the sacrificed creature and has converted <gasps> mana cost equal to one. Plus that creature's converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. Activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery. So birthing pod. But you have to have a creature of a similar type. It's two mana instead of three mana and Phyrexian mana, but then it is two mana to tap it and use it versus one mana and a Phyrexian mana. Okay, Ben, I apologize. Continue with what you're saying. No, all I was just saying is when this card was spoiled, you know, like we definitely talked about it uh, internally. We all talked about it. Um, it It is very, very, very reminiscent of Birthing Pod. Um, obviously, it's cheaper on some level. It's cool it definitely will have combos that work with it there's no question that this will be a combo enabler i think the reason it's so high for me is that even without knowing what it does i just remember like birthing pod had so many decks that it fit into and did so much work um that they had to ban it because like they it just wasn't going to get any better it's a little strange to me that they would print this i guess the limiting factor of the tribal stuff means that what the work you'll have to do will be just it'll be a little narrower. So it'll just be a little bit harder to make this work, mm-hmm. but it does just feel like we just, we, this is like baby birthing pod. And I, I just know how powerful that can be. It's better than all of the other pseudo versions of birthing pod that we've had or the spells that imitate it. Right. This is just, this is birthing pod. If you can do it right. It, it, it'll be at a power level. That's, I feel like closer to um, what like the Kiki pod decks were doing where they were a little bit more glass canity and the chains are a little less clean. Kiki Pod took advantage of that by like if they got the right three cards in play, they automatically won due to the chain going up the right way. 
where this deck, I think, is going to win the way that the old Birthing Pod decks won, which is just like extreme value from the cards you're playing. And A, like in zombie decks, for instance, you could just play a zombie deck that did this. That was a black gray merchant deck that's just sacrificing stuff that is good enough that you get there. Or you can use changelings to do something a little bit more glass canity, but like find your way up the chain, but every other card is a changeling or like is just accidentally the creature type you need. The power of Kiki Pod was if you had any one drop, any two drop, and a Birthing Pod in play, uh, you could win. Correct. Um, and I think you probably cannot do that with this, especially because even if you are able to like pod your two drop changeling into Deceiver Exarch to untap it and then pod your Deceiver Exarch into Orvar cloning another deceiver x arc I, I don't know even if you're doing that pyre each time you untap it is two mana instead of one and two life which i think is super relevant if you're like comboing i think goblins is cool i think zombies is cool because they are like more aristocratic based but i still just think like ho- hoping to like outvalue your opponent who is playing uro with birthing pod is not as is a much taller order nowadays and i also think like the fact that you do lose a lot of combo potential by missing out on, you know, these pod change that well, so 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 that's uh, that aren't the same creature type. That that is the Kiki Pod value engine, right? Like that, but Kiki Pod was the worst Birthing Pod deck, right? Of the two key ones during Birthing Pod's era, Kiki Pod was the one that was the glass sure, cannon I, that wasn't as good. The one that was good was the one that was just using it, and. At its final moments, the best version of Birthing Pod was the one that wasn't even using it to combo. It was just getting Siege Rhinos and just like how much value you can get off of each card you're sacking. And I think we're at a point where some of these tribes can just like, like in the Treasure Cruise era, which is arguably one of the most high powered versions of modern, they played zero combo in, in pod decks. There was no, there was, it was all hate, hate bears and, and Siege Rhino was the top end, right? And maybe there's a better value engine, but like, the fact that goblins yeah, it township can, it was like it was just like it was like township decks with like just like birds and birds like, birds right? rhino and you played a bunch of random hate bears that you're able to tutor for and the fact that like humans can do that and goblins can do that and like you can you can go infinite in the goblin deck right like you can just get uh uh goblin shooty mcmahon and the two drop guy that puts a plus one plus one counter whenever a goblin enters play Grum Gully sure. and, and Red Cap. Yeah, and then you play and the and the you one you can also go infinite with Snoop with Kiki on top yeah, of your list. Like you can do yeah. like like that deck is a combo deck that this fits in, and a lot of those things are valuable enough to sac like you can sacrifice them for for funsies. And I think like that's true of zombies as well. That's true of like there's enough decks out there. Like I think zombies plays what our old birthing pod does, right? Like it, it plays a bunch of weird one drops and two drops, and eventually you can pot up to great gray merchant for value, or they but like as they're dealing with you doing that. You're getting beat down by three three X's and four X's and two X's that you have to also deal I guess with. you can pot a one drop goblin into Snoop and then you can pot a two drop goblin into Harbinger yeah. and then you win. Yeah. Right. That's cute. I don't know. It didn't quite get there for me, but I definitely see where the power level lies. And I love the idea of like zombies or goblins or like one of the aristocratic tribes with it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just think before. outvaluing your opponent is a lot harder now than it was back then. I don't know like if you that's had to fight a lot harder true. for your value back then. I mean, your value is very powerful now. I mean, I think Uro is is like a, a net negative uh, to everything. So number one, Mr. Tybalt. Yeah, same. Slash Valky. Uh, 
you missed you missed freebooter which i think is the best uh version of this effect in the format ben that's uh, the modern that's the modern, that's yeah, the that's modern, the modern version that everybody um, well, okay, so so i think that that's a good comparison where like freebooter Ma- brain maggot they're like all at least on the fringe of playable in many a format freebooter is the best because it has a relevant creature type and uh, but also like like right up to this point this effect has had done well when it had a relevant creature type scholar was an artifact this is and a zombie uh yep. and then this is a human um i think that the benefit on top of this is it does this and and kind of draws you a card right now none of those have ever drawn you a card that you got a threat this is also a two one and like for instance brag maggot yeah. is a one one freebooter is a one two fiend is a one one scholar is a is a two two but it also is gold costs is gold yeah um, black white yeah so so the fact that this is a card that comes in and Without any of the backside, <laughs> a like relatively modern adjacent to modern playable, if not blatantly modern playable, if you like, there are enough modern playable versions of this card that you can say doesn't have a better creature type. Though legendary is a creature type that is relevant. Like there are le- like you can play this and mox amber all day long. Yeah, there's a bunch of cards that reference legendary sure. in the set too. Could have uh, uh, tribal mechanics. It is a two one versus a one one or the other ones. And the other ability, which is Uro Theft or whatever you want to do with it, on its own is great. The other piece of it that I'm most excited by is that uh, Bloodbraid Elf casts the seven drop side, which is insane. Very powerful. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and like this Planeswalker, you are extremely likely to win if you get it in play. I mean, it's basically Karn liberated. And and the fact that like it has the other mode of getting multiples isn't bad because you can transform Tybalt into the second thing and it no, it no longer has the ability, but it's, it's, it's not Tybalt anymore. So the second one can then come into play and you can use it or you can just play the Planeswalker half late game as best. And said this is good at most points of the game there's like one moment it's super awkward which is like turn six but otherwise yeah i i mean it also like if the first one turns into a copy of a creature um the second like the second one can just be a valky because it yeah. is no longer a valky um yeah i mean i think like a lot of the time you're now freebooter so the the trick is like you don't need a relevant creature type. What you need to do is you need to come in and you need to be relevant later in the game. Like the reason nobody plays Brain Maggot is because you play it and it's a one one and it's just a one one forever. It doesn't do anything. Like Freebooter is not going to stay a one one. It's going to get bigger off Thalia's Lieutenant and it has evasion. It's flying. Like have, being a flyer. Yeah, and is it's relevant. flying. So this guy is a two one. So it's like you know beats up beats them up to begin with. But also it becomes the creature you stole, which is theoretically bigger than a two one, and then you know, you get to do stuff. Now, maybe you're not an Uro, but maybe you're just like a random, well, even just like, you know, a monastery swift spear or something, or like, uh, you know, that's better than a two one a lot of the time. So it's, a, I mean, it's an inexpensive activation. If it isn't, if it is, if it's an inexpensive creature, I mean, even if it's just like a one drop or a two drop out of their hand, it doesn't cost you much. It loses the ability, as you said, but, but, you know, still, yeah. still very relevant. I would say that the biggest strike against this card is the the most common thing to do with Freebooter is you look at their hand, you take their removal spell. Right. Um, now they can't kill your Freebooter. A lot of the time, this guy, you're going to look at their hand, you're going to be like, ha, 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 I'll take their Uro. And then you're like, wait, they have a fatal push. <laughs> and then they fatal push your Valky. <laughs> Does it have to take a creature or can it take, it can take any card. It's just if you take a creature, you can copy it. It must take a creature. It must, must take, take a creature. creature yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think it's it. still my number one because it just fits so neatly in a metagame full of Uro right. and like the Cascade into Tybalt is just like a super duper game winning play out of Jund. And also like if you're playing this, I think that you are definitely playing like Thought Seizes or Inquisitions or whatever, which is what you're doing in Jund. So like 
if you are thought seizing, you're seeing their hand, you know if they have targets for this, and then you're taking their removal spell, then you follow it up with this take their Uro, and now they have nothing, right? Like you've taken theoretically their two best cards and you've become one of them. You know, if you play Thought Season, you see two removal spells, then maybe you don't play this on turn two, you play Ren and Six or you play, you know, Tarmogoyf or whatever. Right, right. And yeah, I think like that information is also valuable. On the other hand, those other cards were able to get a lot of them were only get instant sorcery. So this on the back end is oh, yeah. essence scatter it's versus got... negate. But it those are there are meta games where both are super relevant and this is better than essence scatter by a lot, I think. Um yeah. yeah. I'm 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 hyped on this card. I think it's really cool. And then yeah, obviously Tibble Tibble on top. Yeah. I think my top two I'm pretty confident in. I think all the other ones we're gonna see how this works. Can't believe nobody else had bind. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe you're hating on Pyre of Heroes so hard. I'm not hating on it. It's in my honorable mentions. Uh as far as honorable mentions go, I think we're running really, really late for this uh episode. So I think what uh we will do is um save those for another time. Unless people want to just like run through and say the name of their honorable mentions. I, I would just I mean I mean we, we already we talked about most of mine. We talked about Goldspan Dragon, we talked about Magda. I had Provoke the Trolls just because the name is so good. And then also uh I had a Cosmos Charger on my list. Um uh, which I think is probably my favorite piece of art in the whole set. I think that card's really cool. Mm-hmm. Cosmos Charger. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what it does. Blue three 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 flash flying horse spirit. Foretelling cards from your hand cost one less and can be done on any player's turn. And then itself it foretells for blue too. I just think this card's really sweet. The art's fantastic and like I love a, a, I'll always love like a three three flash flying for four. Like I'll always be a fan of that type of card just because I think it plays well. But then the idea that if foretell was a good thing. It would make all your foretell things cheaper. I just thought it was cool, so I put it on animal. Yeah, as a foretell fan, it makes sense. Um, yes, um, I have uh, some of my my honorable mentions. I have Elven Ambush, which is the make an elf for every elf you control at instant speed, which I oh, thought yeah. is like a cute way of getting just a lot of elves into play for not a lot. Uh, I had uh, Moretti of the Frost, which is the five mana legendary shapeshifter that uh, enters the battlefield as a clone of something, um, but bigger. And just like on that pod train I was talking about, and I don't think it would be good anywhere else necessarily. I did have In Search of Greatness, Ben. Don't worry. And I did also have Maskwood Nexus, uh, which I think is... I mostly didn't include because I thought it was like redundant with Pyre of Heroes. Um, I have Pyre, Beergy, Maskwood Nexus, which we've all talked about. I have Weathered Runestone, um, which is two mana Graph Digger's Cage, but it affects non-land permanents instead of just creatures. It, It is a card that I would pick up for your sideboards because it's just an uncommon and it's super cheap. And you never know if there's going to be some War of Invention deck that takes off and you're going to want it or whatever. Yep. Or they print some crazy artifact reanimator card that you're going to need this against. Uh, also, you can play it under a Chalice in a prison deck. Um, so if you're playing both Chalice and you want a Graph Digger's Cage, you can play this instead. Uh, Quake Bringer is my other honorable mention. This is my Fortel card. Uh, three red red five four your opponents can't gain life is a giant berserker uh, your opponents can't gain life. At the beginning of your upkeep, Quakebringer deals two damage to each opponent. This ability triggers only if Quakebringer is on the battlefield or if it's in your graveyard and you control a giant. I don't think there are enough giants to make this work, which is the reason it's just an honorable mention. But I have to say that this card is so, so cool with Kroxa because they both, like, if you're just dumping cards in your graveyard via Cathartic Reunion or Dredge or whatever. Um, you can super easily get Kroxa back, and then Kroxa turns this card on, and now you're doming them for extra, and is killing them. The one thing is it's a little win more because Kroxa probably kills them if it's in play. But um, That's given right. more giants, I think the fact that this does something for free out of your graveyard is very cool. The last card I had was Mystic Reflection, which is one in a blue instant 
uh, foretell card. Just speaking of foretell cards, um, and you can oh, yeah, foretell for blue. Choose target non-legendary creature. The next time one or more creatures or planeswalkers enter the battlefield this turn, they enter as copies of the chosen creature. There are cool shenanigan cheat get copies of the thing you have with tokens or whatever things you can do uh or like with the creature you have you wanted to but like the other one is just like removal right like if they play a croxa or they play an uro you can kind of flash cast this in response and now they're a one one token a or trash a creature trash creature yeah. that doesn't matter and 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 i think yeah. that's cute and it like it was on my list but it ended up cutting it the, the, the last card i had i mentioned mentioned was just because i think this card's cool vega the watcher the uh bird spirit uh, blue white one for a two two flying legendary bird spirit. What's cool about this card is that it says flying whenever you cast a spell from anywhere other than your hand draw card. I just like that it interacts with lots of other things, like whether it's like rebound or whether it's like suspend or various other things that that like spells you cast. You know anything from your graveyard. You know if you put this card with like Dreadhorde Arcanist. There's so many different uh, instances. Your library. Yeah, so I think I think that a two-two flying creature for three is really cool, and it's legendary. So you could build a commander deck around this card, also, which is kind of fun. I think this card is pretty cool. I feel like, uh, I feel like I Ben should build the foretell cool. deck for next week instead of the infect deck. He seems so hyped on it. It's true. He loves foretell cards, and he loves a uh, Vega or whatever. That I've mentioned called. commander like six times on this podcast, and you guys haven't mentioned it once. We're staying true to the theme. This is modern top ten. Look, if we want to talk about Commander, that's a whole other episode, yeah. at least. Things are a lot more playable in Commander than they are in Modern, let me tell you. That is true. Yeah, Alex, you should be correcting me. You should be, you should be correcting me. You should be like, this is a Modern podcast, Ben. Nobody cares about Commander. That was me I'm circa 2017. I'm that you <laughs> like playing Magic, Ben. That's all I'm here for. Your happiness in Magic playing and to murder you in a game of Commander. Uh, so that is that is it for today's episode. We've gone long, so thank you so much. Thank you, Marshall. Thank you, patrons. Uh, once again, thank you, David Sales Talk. Welcome to the Honorable House of Modern. Uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, please like below. Uh, make sure to check out our Commander stream tonight. It's at 7.30 p.m. PST. If you uh, missed it, uh, it's on twitch.tv slash Wiley or on YouTube. If you did miss it, it lives on YouTube forever so you can watch that right now we're doing a bunch of Kaldheim commander we're uh we're trying on playing halvar uh we don't know what michael and marshall are doing yet ben sounds like he's playing the infect guy but we might convince him to play foretell between now and then uh he'll probably try building his deck on monday morning anyways because he's a procrastinator <laughs> um, uh, make sure to check out our patreon it's the reason we can do this uh if you like this content you get a whole week early so literally the day after this episode releases on youtube the next episode of the podcast is on as a raw feed on our patreon so check that out in video form and uh please uh like and subscribe and hit the bell hit that bell baby uh and uh, uh you can follow me at kess wiley everywhere you can follow michael uh i'm at dudar d-u-d-a-r-d-d on twitter and you can follow ben you guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media, all of the different places. Uh, and we've just started doing WandaVision reviews over on Action Industries, one of the channels that I do over with Andrew Guy. So on Fridays, uh, you guys can check those out. They come out if you guys are interested. Uh, we do that. So check out WandaVision over on Action Industries. Thanks for uh, watching. Thanks, everybody. We uh, You're the best. And we'll talk to you literally now, like daily. Just check out YouTube. There's content coming there all the time. Uh, and on Twitter. Bye. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.